ain't talking to myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your love back And it's all in the past Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters 5-Minute Rant. My name's Chris Hall and I'm joined by my prestigious colleague, Pete Davey. How are you doing, Pete? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, yeah, just um, still reeling from yesterday, but other than that, can't complain. Yeah. Um, still lots of positives to take, which I'm yeah. sure we'll get into. Yeah, no, we absolutely will. Um, obviously, I, I watched the game yesterday. I wasn't wasn't there in attendance, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I watched the game. Um, but do you know what, Pete? I know that uh, you lads did a match reaction after the game, and um, unfortunately, I've still I've still yet to watch that unloaded. So anyone who hasn't watched it, get yourself on because I know I'll be doing the same tonight. But it's interesting, Pete, because like we haven't really properly spoken since the match, have we? So obviously, I want your thoughts, and I, I'm dying to hear them. I mean, obviously, I've got me my own opinions from what I've seen. But how did you think the game went? Or what, what are your takeaways from the game, should I say? Um, well, first and foremost, I think we shot Chelsea. Um, if, anyone, if anyone watched Sky, you would have seen Thomas Tuchel's um, uh, pre-match interview. And he talked about being surprised that if he's playing a back, a, a back three, back five, however yeah, you want to see it. Um, and we, we stunned Chelsea. We, they, they didn't, one, they didn't expect us to set up that way. And two, they did not expect us to come out and play the way we did. And we shocked a lot of people, even the even Sky. You know, you could see, you could hear the the um, the commentators and people um, in the studio. Uh, they were not expecting Newcastle to come out that way because you know what? For the last 14, 15, 16 years, we we've we've been a we've been an easy touch at places like Stamford Bridge, apart yeah. from one season under Pardew. Um, and we we shocked them. The way we played tactically, the way we set up, I thought we were absolutely superb. Um, all the players that came in, we, we had we had a brand new midfield pairing in Bruno Gamares and Sean Longstaff, who were both outstanding in their performances. Like it was it it was like it, it's just unheard of when you go to somewhere like Stamford Bridge and you play that way in general, let alone without your your most potent three midfielders in the two Joes and John Joe Shelby, like, um, you know, they were, they were all missing. Ryan Fraser, one of our best performers on the bench. We had Jacob Murphy, who I thought again was unbelievable in his role, in his positioning as a, as a performer. And what he did tactically in that game was brilliant. Almiron coming in from the cold, brilliant. You know, yeah. we had some fantastic performers. Jamal Lascelles, okay, gets his critics. I thought defensively he was very, very good. He gave the ball away once or twice in the first half. After that, didn't let it affect him. Was very, very good in in, in a very polished performance. Um, just, just brilliant, brilliant performances overall. And it did not deserve us walking away from Stamford Bridge with no points. It, that that's the biggest thing that when I woke up this morning, that was the one thought I had in my head. How have we come away from Stanford Bridge playing like that with no points? We did not deserve what happened to us yesterday. No, I can't. No, I think you sums it up really well, Pete. I completely agree. I, I was the same as you, um, but I must I must admit also um, I was kind of buoyed by the whole thing because I thought, you know what, we 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 more than competed uh, yesterday. And some of the performances, you're absolutely right, were, were outstanding. And when you think, Pete, you know, just to reel off a couple, Caden Trippier, Callum Wilson, 
Alan Saint Maximum, Ryan Fraser, John Joe Shelby, Joe Willock. Not even in the Linton. eleven. And the, uh, Joe Linton, yeah. Not even in the eleven. And then, you know, we go and put a performance up like that. I mean, you mentioned there quite rightly Bruno and uh, Sean Longstaff, who hadn't played together in the middle. Uh, yeah. And they go and put a performance up against the likes of N'Golo Conte, Kovacic, and uh, Mason Mount. And you think, yeah. it's not it's not half bad, that is it? Not half bad. Um, I, I felt disappointed, like you, um, that we we didn't get the point we deserved. And really, you could argue we could we could have had um, we could have had all three had it gone slightly different. Um, I'm sure the guests that we've got coming on, uh, you know, will have a couple of things they want to touch on. So I don't want to go into too much detail. But yeah, um, I think prior to the match, none of us were expecting anything. We were probably all hopeful and thinking, you know, that we could and should get something. Um, one thing I will say, <clears throat> in case you know no one brings it up. I must admit, it was an absolutely fantastic finish from Kai Havertz, who who showed his quality. I mean, when you when you saw the way he brought the ball down and finished, it it was an excellent goal. But it's just so disappointing because we didn't we didn't deserve to come away from Sanford Bridge with no points at all. We really didn't. Um, but you know what, Pete? Let's get our first guest on and see what they've got to say. So, a big welcome to first one of the evening, Tony. How you doing, Tony? Hi, not too bad, lads. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Um, yeah, so obviously last week I did say that obviously I was hoping that we would get seven points out of these three games. We were close to the f- getting the fourth point yesterday. Yeah. Um, the quickly on the Southampton one, I thought we did well to come back from a goal down, which was a good test for us. We came back, and even better that the two signings, the two new signings scored just to run that back down to Rutel. Because I was so pleased and I was yeah. so wanting one of them to score at least. But two of them, I thought, even better. Take that, Ralph. You know, and uh, after the game, he didn't want to answer questions on that. Yep. Very surprising, wasn't it? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, he must, uh, he must have hated that, like, wasn't he? he oh, must have hated he just... I mean, that was a good result down there because he'd only lost once all season at home. Yeah. So... Yeah. And now they've lost two at home in two in like three days because Watford went down there and beat them as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony, we've broken them. That's what we've done. We've yeah, broken we them. Have. They were they were under uh, like undefeatable for long parts of that season. Because I think it was like September when they yeah. when they got their first loss there against Wolves in like the ninety third ninety fourth minute, and then they had a long stretch of not being beaten. We go there and absolutely like you know kind of like just destroy all confidence and then yeah. Watford go there and pick up the pieces like it, it's brilliant brilliant to see brilliant to see but uh but yesterday's game well where where do we start with this I mean when when the team come out and we were playing a five at the back I thought and I looked at Chelsea's team and I thought oh hang on he's matching Chelsea here when I looked at their formation and um and obviously then Tuchel come on and spoke about it and he says I'm surprised they're playing this because they normally play a 4-3-3. Obviously, he's done his homework. And um, he said, so today I'm surprised they're actually playing this way today. But it was working. Um, I think Havertz should have been sent off, without a doubt, because when you elbow somebody, not only just elbow them, but actually cut them as well. Surely that's got to be a red card regardless. You know, um, I mean, Dan Byrne had a cut to the side of his head, so he clearly got him. Yeah. So surely I think you saw from his reaction <clears throat> when he was um, when he was, Dan Byrne was on the floor. He like grabbed his leg, didn't he? And obviously they were exchanging words. And I think I think yeah. you know as a player, don't yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but I think you know as a player whether someone's meant something or not. 
I, I, I always, I always think that anyway. You, even if it, whether you're on the pitch or it's happened to you. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like you know I, I I saw that bit that you talked about, Chris, where he kind of like he's on the ground. Havertz goes up to him, him. and he kind of like he kind of grabs his leg, and he yeah. points to him as if to say, "You fucking meant that. You meant that. Yeah. You did that on purpose." And like yeah. Havertz kind of like scurries away because you know, Big Dan Burn is he's a big bastard and it, it, it'll bat him. <laughs> you know? yes, and uh, you know Havertz knew that he'd done wrong, but but. There is no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure Tony, you will agree with this as well, um, that I was I am 110% convinced that Kai Havertz went up for that header with no intentions of winning the ball. He knew he wasn't going to win it, but he went to leave something on him. I'm not saying he went to intentionally cause that sort of harm to him, but he intentionally went to, to leave something on Dan Byrne. I've yeah. been a striker. And I've come up, I'm, I'm not the tallest, yeah. I'm like 5'10", 5'11". Um, and I, when I go, my wife's looking at me, I am 5'11", <laughs> don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> she always argues with me about how tall I am. But like, I'll come up against six foot three, four, um, six foot four defenders. And you do, you, you, you try and kind of make it difficult for them. But he's yeah. gone up with his elbow higher than his actual head. That is to cause harm. And regardless of what anybody thinks, when you're leaving that type of mark on somebody's head, right, you you have caused serious harm. Now, I mentioned it last night in the show for anyone that's watched it. But if you look at where that contact is, where the still, where, where they put the still image from Sky Sports, that's his temple in which yeah. he gets elbowed in. That's serious. Yeah, if exactly. he, if yeah. he, you know, if that was with any more force. Or if any more, any more sort of slightly back, that could have seriously knocked him out in midair. If he lands funny, he could break a bone, land on his neck. You know, anything could happen like that. Yeah, you've got to be careful. That is serious foul play, which is a red card. Yeah. What are your thoughts? And I, I was surprised about it because I thought, well, VAR might intervene here and you know say to the referee, well, actually, it's 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 a sending off, you know. Um, like I see, he's left a mark on his head. He's cut him, so he's quite clearly gone out to injure the player. That's what he's done. Because no disrespect to Kai Havertz, but you know you've got a six foot seven centre half in Dan Byrne. You're never going to out jump him in the air anyway. And Kai Havertz must be about five foot eleven. Yeah, you know. So I think he's a bit taller, know. actually. Yeah, I think he's a bit taller. Is he a bit taller? Is he? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, when he scored that goal in the 89th minute, I, I just, I just sunk. I just thought, I don't believe this. Of all the people to score the goal, it had to be him. Um, Guys, I just want to get, I just want to get your thoughts on this. In, in the second half, were any of you counting down the minutes from like? from like 55 minutes in the second half, because I don't know about you guys, I don't know about anyone in the chat, but like from like 55 minutes, I was counting down every minute, like if that second half to, to get towards the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be honest with you, at 89 minutes, I thought, we've got this. We've done it. Didn't it. Even yeah. dangerous. I was like, we've, we've got this, like we've, we've got a point here and it just came out of nothing. Did, did you guys do the same? Yeah, I, I, I did. Oh, come on, you know, we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, you know, and then Jorginho just happens to put that ball in perfect, didn't he? 
I mean, Tony, you can't you can't underestimate. And I, I know I touched on this at the start of the show. You know, when you watch the replay, like Georgina's put a fantastic ball in, he but has, it's yeah. that it's that quick snap. He brings the Kai Abbott's brings the ball down, and then almost in one motion brings the balls down, and then just just toe pokes it. it, it, it had was, a yard of space. It was such a fantastic finish because it, most people, when the ball comes over, it just bounce off his foot or they did it yeah. first time and they might balloon it. But he's literally took a touch and then just poked it home. And it, it's a fantastic finish. But well, I, I do feel a bit sorry for Dan Byrne because I know Dan Byrne was absolutely devastated after it because he's let him get a yard on him. And Dan, Dan Byrne had, had a great game. So I, yeah. I did I did feel a bit for Dan Byrne there because he's just, just for that, I don't know. It was like a five-second period. Just switched off just for just for one moment. But great movement. And unfortunately, yeah. lads, let's be honest. That's what seventy-five million gets you—a player who look, can just do that. I mean, if you look earlier on in the game, though, Chris, if it had been, if you think Werner had a similar sort of chance, but the, he hit the ball off his thigh, he didn't yeah. take it on, didn't control it like Havertz did. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and in the penalty decision, well. I just want to know how that's never a penalty. How is that not a penalty? You've got a hold of somebody's shirt. You're literally ripping it off their back. And as I said on the um, loaded mag last night on the re- on the reaction, which you brought my point up, Pete, Shalabar never even touched that ball. So if that's gone out for a corner, why hasn't VAR said to the referee, well, hang on a minute. Why have you give a corner? Well, Shalabar touched it. And then he could have said, well, actually, he hasn't touched it. Then the referee could have said, oh, can I go and have a look at this at the monitoring? But there's been no communication. And David Coote is supposed to be a FIFA accredited referee. Well, he ain't a FIFA referee, I'm sorry. And if you look, if you go down to like World Cups in Euros, when when the referees are on VAR, they've got about three referees on VAR on the one game. Yeah. But I agree with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, it needs to be ex-players on VAR. Yeah, it's good, it's a good much, shout, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I say, that, that was a stonewall penalty, if anything. And we should a have few had decisions that. like this, though, Tony, not just our matches, but other matches. And you're thinking, okay, so the referee has, hasn't seen it, has got a different opinion or whatever. But the, the big issue with VAR is, you know, not everyone's a fan of VAR, and I can completely understand that. But if you've yeah. got VAR and you're doing it a certain way, at least get it right. I mean, if it's not yeah. getting, it's not even getting done right. That that's that's what makes it worse. That's why the fans are kicking off so much. I mean, whoever's I mean, been—I I don't know the name of the person—but they've been sat in that VAR room and they've looked at that and about six, seven, eight different angles, and they John still Brooks. don't think that's a penalty. John Brooks was a VARF. He still doesn't think that's a penalty. The VAR system seeks to provide a clear way, clear and obvious evidence and serious misses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's exactly spot on. Yeah, so it, so if that if that isn't a clear and obvious error by the referee, I mean you actually see in the replay, um, the referee. To be fair to the referee, the on-field referee, his his line of vision is completely blocked. So for yeah. him to say, "Oh no, I don't think it was a pen," that's where he needs VAR. And then if VAR aren't a hundred percent, VAR should be saying to him, "Go and have a look at the screen. Let me know what you yeah. think." I think it's this, but you just go and have a double check. Unless, of course, I mean, did you see the decision in the Leeds game? And I think it was oh Luke Ayling, yeah. Oh yes, and Regina. Yeah. Now Luke, yeah. it looked a Stonewall penalty, and then when you yes. slowed it down, Luke Ayling, um, stamped on. yeah, he was stamped on. 
by the player. So that's a clear and obvious error. So they've come in and they've gone, do you know what? No need to look at that screen. It's not a pen. Reverse your decision. So that's what they've done. But ones like that, that yesterday's one with Chalaber, I I don't see see how he's looked at that and gone, oh, no, he hasn't made a mistake to play on. And I don't know if you noticed, but when that... When he gave, did anybody notice? But when he gave the corner, obviously because we know Shalabar didn't touch the ball anyway. But when he gave the corner, the keeper Mendy put his hand up as if to say, "Hang on, it's a goal kick." I, I don't know if anybody that. noticed that, no. but he put his hand up as soon as he pointed the corner, and he said, "No, no, hang on, it's a goal kick." Yeah, who said that? I wasn't happy. But. Um, what was it? Well, I mean, you look at you look at things before, and if you look at the um, if you look at the Arsenal game, Anthony Taylor. I mean, I watched that game, and that it was a very faint handball. I didn't notice handball until they slowed it down and showed you. Um, I think the referee was Darren England, the far referee, because um, the commentator, I think, it was Alan Smith, said he's not a very experienced referee. He should send Anthony Taylor at the Monta, which he did do. Mm. And then Anthony Taylor saw it and saw the handball, went back, give him the yellow card and give the penalty because he couldn't give a red card because there was a player on the lane covering. Mm. That's the only thing that saved him getting a red card. This, this this should be happening more often, though. It should be. VAR is there to correct a wrong decision. Or if there's a little bit of you know ambiguity over it or a little bit of, mm, I'm not sure, just get the referee to go and have a look at it. Just go and yeah. look at it. There's no harm. Yeah, exactly. If the referee I mean, wants to stand by his, if the referee wants to stand by his initial decision, at least you can go. Well, the VAR fellas looked at it. The referees looked at it. Still don't agree with it. Still don't like it. But at least the referees looked at it. And then the referee can be held accountable after the game. Whereas that on-field referee over that Chalaber decision is not going to be held accountable, is he? Because he did. He he didn't see the decision, and VAR haven't helped him. So he'll just say, "Well, sorry, I, I didn't see it properly." Yeah, and it's just it's just a disgraceful decision because at the end of the day they knew that that was a penalty. Surely the guy on VAR must have seen that and thought that's a penalty. And how he can say that um, was it that Murphy went over too easy or something, it, or, or the shirt pull shouldn't have dragged him to the ground? Well, it wasn't just the shirt pull; he was actually hit by he was tapped on his foot as well. You know, yeah. he was taken away basically. Yeah. It's disappointing, mate. It really is. It and really, then, really is. And I can see why Eddie Howe's not happy about it, and I don't blame him. But, um, you know, and Eddie Howe says, I was still in a relegation fight. I don't think we are, but I know we're only nine points away. But you look at everything's running after, if we beat them on Thursday, that's an awful running for April. Yeah, it is. And, then, and do you know what? It's easy, it's easy, sorry, it's easy, Tony, you know, for people to get, you know, a little bit anxious over it. But let's be honest, in order, in order for us to still be in that relegation battle, the other teams would need to win probably three or four games, oh, and God, we'd have yeah. to win none. So, yeah. it, it, I, I'm, I'm, um, you know, after a really promising performance against Chelsea, and really we were robbed, as loads of people are saying in the chat. Um, I think we just look forward to Thursday now and try and put, you know, put the uh, put the vongs right and uh, well, put in a good performance and don't get three points. We'll, I think we'll go to Everton. I think we'll absolutely turn it on against them because. You know, after what happened, we'll put it aside and then we'll just go into that game. And we're full of confidence anyway. It's, you know, if we had lost that game through us not playing well, yeah. you know, I would have thought, well, fair enough. Yeah, I agree. 
Okay. But it's more it's more disappointing that we've lost that game through refereeing yeah. positions because we actually mm. played so well in that game. Normally in the past we've gone to Chelsea and been beaten three, four, five nil. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I agree, mate. I agree. This is Absolutely why Eddie Hill's put on with these tactics. Yeah. You know? Um, but as I say, Everton's got, after we beat Everton on Thursday, they've got a horrible April, and yeah. then they've got to arrange three games with Palace, Watford, and Burnley. Hmm. Watford's away, and Everton don't travel away very well. And they've got opportunities to get out of it, Tony, but unfortunately, you know, it's only in their hands. They can't rely anymore on other teams. They've got to sort their own business out. And the last game of the season, Arsenal away. The last yeah. game of the season's Arsenal away. That could be um, that could that could even be elementary by them. They might yeah. already be down by them. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it's just at the end of the day it'll be their own fault because they're not playing well enough, are they? No, that's absolutely right. Tony, just before you go, um, what is your prediction for Thursday? I'm gonna say three nil. Nice. Um, I, I, can see it, I can see we're doing it because I think Shelby will be back. I think Willock will be back. I know they were ill, but hopefully they'll shake that off and be back for Thursday. Um, I think we'll go back to a 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Bruno's playing really well. He's, sh- he's a class act. And I mean, that goal against Southampton, FIFA's now saying it's up for the Puskas award now. Yeah, top draw. So really, really good goal. And then it was funny, the Premier League put it on their Twitter account about his goal as well. Yeah. You everyone, know? everyone. The Premier League are definitely warming up to us now, aren't they? You can definitely tell that. But um, I would say Eddie House got to be manager of the season. That's what even Garth Crooks has said as well. Yeah. Well, he's got manager of the month. And if he continues to push us up that league table, who knows? Well, yeah, Tony, well, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure, mate. I'm going to have to move you on because I've got, no I've got quite a few people waiting in the in the uh, in the background. But listen, as always, mate, thank you so much for coming on. Really no enjoyed problem. listening to your points of view. Yeah, nice to speak to you, lads. Anyway, and, uh, all right. See you next week, and hopefully by then we've got that beaten at Everton. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Three fingers crossed, mate. Bruno yeah. on the score sheet again. And one, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Cheers, Tony. Take care, Bye. Tony. Take care, mate. See you later. Bye. Good man. Three 0 Very uh, very optimistic there, Pete. I'll take it. I'll take it. But um obviously the way Everton are right now, um they're there for the beating. And uh, you know, I'm I'm convinced if we play anything like we did on Sunday, um I think we win. I yeah. I, I just don't think at the moment with the way Everton are playing, you, you look on paper, they look like a difficult team to play against, but the way the reality is, is the way in which they're playing at the moment. They're playing with a lot of fear. They had a good first half against uh, Wolves and then petered out. I think with our work rate and our, our ability to press high up, I think we could we could cause them some problems. Um, and I think if we go one nil up, I think I think the fans are going to turn big time. I really do. Um, they, they they need the win. This game on Sunday against Wolves for Everton and this game against Thurs, they were both must wins. They lost the first one. They're under massive pressure because they've got West Ham, Man United, I think Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, all to come. Some players their games after after they play us. Um, they they've got a rotten, rotten run of run of fixtures. Um 
up until sort of May time. So going to be very, very interesting. Uh, that, that is for sure. Um, there was one point that I just wanted to make on here. I thought I'll just raise it now. Gary V put the referee gave a corner as well, which was the wrong decision. So is how much we, he saw of it. Uh, as in the, the penalty incident. Um, there may as well have been uh, no VAR in the game um, for the um, use it was. Um, it, I, I absolutely think he was right. I've, I tweeted out today my, my opinion on, on the, the call for a corner in the VAR and what they should have done. But, but what, 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 was, what was your feeling about that, Chris, with regards to you know the, uh, the VAR not, not asking the ref to to go and have a look at the monitor because the ref gives the corner so he must think that that um Chalibur's kicked the ball out for, for for a corner but clearly he didn't so why is the why is the VAR not asked the question to the to the referee what are your thoughts on that yeah it's a, do you know what Pete it's a fantastic point um i must admit during the game, I don't know why that may be, but I didn't, I didn't get the whole corner part. I was maybe I was just completely caught up in the whole emotion yeah. of the Chalaba thing. Like I, I, I'm still absolutely baffled that that referee hasn't been told to go and look at the screen, or failing that, that the VAR official hasn't just looked at it and gone pen. It's a pen. Mm. I mean, you can see on one of the angles that the referee. Is, is you know where from where the referee is and where the incident happens in fairness to him he's got two or three players in a line blocking his view so when the referee has said oh you know no pen i didn't necessarily have a problem with that it was the var part of it that i had the problem with mm. because i thought well if it's if it's not a clear and obvious error which is you know the word that we're all used to now if it's not a clear and obvious error then they're meant to stick with the decision but how was that not a clear and obvious error and even if even if, you know, like I said before, if the VAR official was looking at it and going, do you know what? I'll go and get the referees, have a look at it. Tell him to go and have a look at the screen. I think this, but tell him to go and have a look at the screen just to just so he's comfortable with the decision. But to then take that decision completely out of the referee's hands and just say, no, your decision was fine, play on, is just unacceptable. It's yeah. just not good enough. And unfortunately, Pete, we're having these discussions most weeks, not just about Newcastle, but just about VAR in general. I mean, look what happened to Everton the other week with the Vodri handball. Yeah. Stuff like that shouldn't be happening. It just shouldn't be happening. It's terrible. And it, it, it can cost, we're talking about a lot of money here. We're talking about a lot of money and clubs' futures. Yeah. And, you know, we've all seen how quickly clubs can get relegated from the Premier League and then just disappear into the abyss. You know, the yeah. likes of your Charlton's, the likes of your Leeds, who it took 14 years to come back into the Premier League, or was it 17? It was something like that. It was a really, really high figure. Uh, Blackburn, never come back up. Stoke, they're, they're, they're not coming back up anytime soon. Middlesbrough, yeah. loads of clubs. Sheffield Wednesday, you've got Coventry, you've got yeah. Sheffield United, although they could come back up. They're having a good run at the moment. But yeah, you, you've had a lot, there's a lot of teams there that have just kind of fizzled yeah. out. Blackburn. Ex-Premier League yeah. champions, you know, yeah. uh, kind of Nottingham Forest, ex-European champions. You know, you've got teams that are, that are just kind of languishing. And and you've you mentioned a good point because you know, I, I watched the Brighton-Liverpool game at the weekend. And, you know, for Diaz's goal, where he heads it in and the, 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 the goalkeeper cleans him out. The yeah. guy can't even get up to celebrate. Bad. He gets cleaned Bad. out. Yes, it's yeah. a goal. That's still a red card. That yeah. is dangerous foul play. Yeah. Again. All it needed to be was like a few inches to, to the right hand side, and he hits the side of his head and knocks him clean out. 
yeah. and that player can no longer continue to play on the pitch, that is serious foul play. Like yeah. it's a red card. I don't care whether it's a goal or not. If it's serious foul play, it still needs to be a red card. It's as simple as that. The Sianchu situation, the game after ours with a handball, yes, slightly differently. Okay, because there was a player coming back. That's not a red card. But the serious foul play in the game needs to be given a red card. There needs to be sanctions for that. Mm -hmm. Just like we had in, in our favour in the right decision with De Silva against Brentford. Yes. It was serious foul play. You know, he, he could have broke his leg. He's tar uh, targets lucky that, he, that he's still able to um, still able to play and played very, very well yesterday. But, you know, it, it, it just it needs to be consistent. And there are referees clearly that are working VAR at Stockley Park that are not organising and making the right decisions uh, for the good of the football match. It's just, it baffles me. Absolutely yeah. baffles me. It's not good enough, is it, mate? Really not good enough. And like we say, these, these decisions can have major implications, not just on clubs, but also, you know, like fans and staff of the clubs. You know, when clubs go down, because of the money we're talking about, it can have a big impact on people. And when it's for stuff that, you know, decisions that are being made incorrectly in this day and age, when we've got this tool, this facility that allows us to be able, all right, we're... we're um, you know, we're maybe slowing our game down a little bit or, you know, we're having to get goals cancelled and stuff, which no fan wants or no fan likes, unless, of course, it's going the other way. But for them to not be getting it right and they've still got this technology, it's so bad. It's it, it, any other job in the world. If you if you kept making mistakes and you were called out for them, your, man, your manager wouldn't go, oh, right, OK, never mind. OK, see you next week. You, you get pulled up for it. There'd be, there'd be punishments. You'd have to, you'd have to, you know, go on holiday or something. You'd have to say, oh, listen, you know, you're going to get demoted. None of that happens. It just, it just keeps, you know, going on and oh, oh yeah, they must have missed it. Oh yeah, no, never mind. It's just not good enough. It really isn't. Do you know what, Pete? On that note, I'm going to bring in our next guest, and I'd love to hear if this guest has got anything to say about it because I'm sure he has. Big welcome back to our good friend, Jimmy. Hello, Hi, Jimmy. Hello, I'm fine. Brandy and Blaze, how you yeah. doing? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'd love to trade where I am right now for where you are because those oh, blue yeah. skies look unbelievable. Yeah, they are it's a little hot, and I, I forgot to talk up this morning, so I'm ready to get back in to be AC. Um, I I went from being elated during the Southampton game to just, if I could, I would kick my TV, put a hole in it, because that I don't think I've been that pissed about a match in in forever. Um, my my little rant is the fact that VAR works. It's the clouds that are running it that have no idea. And I take it like with the, the MLS. Well, no, I'll start with Premier League. You guys drug your feet on BAR. Premier League and the Referees Association. You didn't want it. Why? Because there is an arrogance that the British have the best referees in the world now whether fans think that i don't know but 
I know, I mean, the referees, they just have this swagger about it. And it's a, it's a fraternity because you don't open it up to foreign foreign officials. You don't increase your referee pool like the MLS. MLS, everyone that works is part of a crew. So if the referee screws up, it's not the referee that gets demoted. It's two people on the lines. It's the fifth or the fourth official and the VAR. All of them. Which is why we've had to open up to, I mean, you might have a Jamaican crew one week. Next week, you might have a Costa Rican. Okay, Costa Rican. Next, you might have an American. Um, and it's, I just, I think the, the only way, only reason you're seeing this is your reef referees don't want to work as a team because they all despise it. The way, the more they f up, there's only, you know, there's only so many times you can tweak something until you just say, okay, let's just put it on pause for a year or two and figure this out. Even though every other league in the world has figured this out, um, I mean, the fact that Havertz wasn't sent off for the elbow when you've got Dan Byrne running around the, the pitch looking like the fucking Terminator with a bullet <laughs> hole in his damn head. And is I mean, but our, the MLS commissioner, Darn Garber, when he was inter- interviewed by uh, Taylor Twelman, said, why do we not have the outcry on VAR decisions that they seem to have in some other leagues? With he didn't say Premier League because ESPN's trying to bid on that contract. And Garber just threw you guys under the bus. He said, We don't use clear and obvious, we use common sense. Um, out of their referee pool, 40% of the referees are ex players. And there's so many things, easy solutions to fix this, but you got to want to do it. And, but, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to harp on the, the bad of the game. I mean, I looked at the lineup when I woke up and they popped it up. I was like, oh shit, we're going to get destroyed. <laughs> My boy, where's Frazier? I, I understand he needs a break, but Joe Lenton, Willick, I mean, they're five years old. I mean, they can recover. I mean, but I, I was proud of what the, the performance that they put in. ASM gave us nothing when he came on, but hopefully we'll get a little more out of Everton. Um, but I just left that match, watching that match. I got up, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I got up at 8.30. I wanted to see the pre-match to hear all the the bullshit that they were, I mean, I, I mean, it was like, I'd say 40% Chelsea on their ownership. And the other 60 was 
Newcastle. So I got through that shit, and so I'm just looking forward to, to Thursday. Um, looking see Frazier back on the field, and let me get your opinion on this. Well, one, this is, I don't know, you've probably seen it already. This is not a good look for the referees when Chelsea, one of your big six, on their homepage has their man of the match and a picture of the referee. That that they are they are throwing it back in the face of everyone, including the referees association, admitting Chelsea on their fam on their Chelsea FC. I saw it floating around Twitter today. It had their man in the match. Oh, have we lost Jimmy? Yeah, I lost him a little bit. I want to know if that if that's true because I, I did see I did see that during the day, um, but I wasn't sure whether it was whether it was true or whether it was something that was kind of um, you know like obviously photoshopped or manufactured a little bit. So I weren't yeah. sure whether whether it was. But if anyone knows whether that's true or not, um, post it in the chat because that was um, obviously that. I don't know whether it would be true because that would be a massive talking point, and I think the Premier League or maybe the FA would get involved in that if they if they were to post a comment like that, saying that the man of the match was the ref, and because they won the game, I would like I would like to think that they wouldn't put it on because they yeah. wouldn't necessarily need to because they benefited from those awful decisions. I would I would be more inclined to believe if it was Newcastle that posted that on our official site to say man of the match was the referee because of the decisions he gave against us. I, I just don't know whether it would be real enough to um like to to be something that Chelsea would put and obviously Jeff's put on there. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. It, yeah. it, it would be fake. I imagine it, it, it was the case, but these things these I mean, days saw... are so real. They look yeah. so real that it's quite easy to think that they could actually be the, the case. And I think that might have been um, a situation with Jimmy that um, that he may have thought that it was real because it, it did look real. It had the blue tick and everything. It's uh, yeah, one of those mm. one of those things. Yeah, but, um, I mean, it was it was interesting, Pete. I, I take it. Did you see this statement from um, Isaac Hayden after the game? Yeah, loved it. Loved great, it. Great, wasn't it? Great. Yeah. It was absolutely great, and it was right. What he said, it was right. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I actually tweeted back, not not to Isaac Hayden directly, but there was a Chelsea fan that um that we were going to get on for away days. Um, Tom Overin, who works for um B- BBC Radio Five Live. And he tweeted and he just put embarrassing, embarrassing tweet. So I messaged back and I was like, hold on. Like, it was a, it was, I I don't see anything wrong with this. There were two decisions that were, that were stonewallers, the the elbow and the penalty. And to be fair to him, he messaged back and he was like, my opinion, I don't think it was a red card, the the elbow, it definitely was. 
But he said he said we were very very harsh to Dunbar with the penalty. So and I don't think anyone could argue that penalty. It was no one could argue that penalty. It was a stone waller. But he no but you know, he came back and said the same. And uh, we had a little bit of a, a back and forth on the back of that. And he's he's a he's a staunch Chelsea fan. He he obviously loves Chelsea and fair play to him. But yeah. You know, I don't think anyone could argue the penalty. Personally, I don't think anyone can argue the elbow, but I think people would because obviously, you know, he he still felt and he said like he still felt, you know, in his opinion, he didn't think we'd still win the game. Uh, even with those decisions, I was like, hold on a second, you scored in the 89th minute. If you went down to 10 men at 39 minutes, that changes everything. It changes your approach. It changes what subs you brought on to to affect the game. It gives us confidence because we've got an extra man. We were already dominating and playing the better football in the first half. Who's to say we couldn't have come out and been even more expansive? Who's to say Alice at Maximum couldn't have come on earlier? And I'm sure we'll get on to Alice at Maximum because there's a few people that made some comments about ASM. Um, Who's to say he couldn't have come on and been that extra man to just kind of destroy things on the counter-attack? That game would have been a whole different scenario. You know what? They wouldn't have won that game. I don't even believe they'd have scored if if they'd have gone down to 10 men because Kai Havertz is the one that scored the goal. No other player looked like they were going to score in that game apart from him. Like, So I, I, I put something back and he kind of you know, didn't really respond to that. But um, Very, but... very interesting point though, Pete. I mean, like obviously as fans, sometimes you've got your rose tinted glasses on. And I understand all that, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. I think most neutrals watching that game would have said, you know what, that result was harsh on Newcastle. Most Newcastle fans will say that it was harsh on Newcastle. And I think most... Well, maybe not most, but I think, you know, there will be some Chelsea fans out there who will be big enough to say, Do you know what, we, we got lucky there. I mean, look at look at Tuchel's reaction when the when the goal went in. Do you know what I mean? He knew he's he's nicked he's nicked three points there that, you know, they shouldn't really have had. And let, let's get it right as well, Pete. I think it was 75 minutes before they had the shot on target. Yeah, 75. So, oh, I don't know. Been. Might have even been late to that, but yeah, could well have been seventy five. But it was it was that late. It was league. late. It was late. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was seventy five minutes. And when I say a shot on target right. as well, I think it was a pretty tame one. I don't think it was like you know one that was going to uh, you know bother bother uh, the keeper too much. But, but yeah, the, I just thought I was going to say the even bigger reaction from from uh, Thomas Tuchel is um, when the final whistle went. He celebrated yeah. more in that final whistle than he did when they won the Champions League. You know, he, he yeah. knew how big that game was. And, and it goes back to my point that I've mentioned on, on Twitter earlier on today and, I, and I've said throughout. The Premier League, Sky, the rest of them, they're all part of this one unit. They couldn't afford for Chelsea to lose that game yesterday. They couldn't. They couldn't possibly. They're already in the pits at the moment. For them to go and lose to Newcastle or or drop points to Newcastle would have been detrimental to everything that they wanted. They had built a clear narrative that they thought that Chelsea were going to win today and have a great feel-good factor around their club. It, it And for long parts, it looked like it wasn't going to be the case. Um, and it took a brilliant goal to win the game and two dreadful decisions. Um, and you know what? I, I'm easy with it. I'm easy with it because, and I don't know what you think, Chris, but I'm fully confident that we'll get we'll get our own back at some point. Oh, million percent. Whether it's next season or the season after, we'll get our own back for those types of decisions. It won't affect us with regards to the season. I still think we'll stay up comfortably. Um, 
and you know it's it's just frustrating that these kind of things are still happening and the big teams are still benefiting. Um, I don't know if you guys saw on Sky Sports News earlier on today with Flex, um, who's a Man United fan, uh, but he's he, he comes he's yeah he's really good and talks good knowledge about football. And he was on he was on Sky Sports News this morning, and they asked him about the about the game uh, and about the decisions. And he said he said even as a Man United fan. A, a long-term Man United fan, he understands that the big clubs get decisions, yeah. decisions like what happened yesterday, and he admitted it. And he was like, "That is a situation where the big club has got the benefit of the doubt, and they've got away with one." And he was like, "As Man United fans, we've had it, so I know I'm not just saying it from the outside. I'm saying it as a Man United fan that he that he was saying that they his club have benefited from that situation." And if you've got a top six club that are saying that, you know that that kind of thing happens. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating, isn't it? And I know this sounds horrible to say, Pete, and you know I want it to be taken in the best possible way. But in two or three years' time, we might not have this problem because we will be classed as one of the big six. And that's not me, you know. I, d- I don't want to sound like I'm being cocky or you know, oh, everyone will love us soon. I, I don't mean that. I just mean that. You know, when when the narrative is fitted around us, it could be that we end up getting those decisions that you know perhaps we're not used to. And this is this is the trouble, isn't it? And I'm not saying that's right, and that shouldn't be the case. It should all be very open, very fair. But the Premier League will look after its own, won't it? And sooner or later, I I don't know how long it will be, but that top six will not look like the same top six as it will in three or four years' time. I firmly believe that. I think there's going to be a couple of clubs who, you know, end up falling away from that. One, one of them that springs to mind is Tottenham, big time. As soon as Tottenham moves a couple of players, Antonio Conte gets off, they're in big trouble. And then they've got this big, massive debt round their neck in regards to the stadium. They've got debt and they don't spend enough money. No. If you want to be a top six club now and you want the best players, you have to part with money. They've got an they've got an owner or or director CEO however you want to call him Daniel Levy that doesn't like to spend money, and they're banking on Harry Kane the bearing them out time and time and time again. If he has a bad season, he's not had a great season this season. Look at where you're at. You're at Europa League stage when you've got when you when you're banking on your main striker to score your goals and he isn't. Although he's coming back into form and he looks like he's playing really really well, but you know. They're banking on him, but he's not going to last forever. They need to spend some money, and they won't. But we will, and that you're absolutely right. And that's where we come up. We we will come up. Trump's also having a fantastic season. Mikel Arteta's got those young boys playing fantastically well, but it won't last. They'll have a good season this season. May even get Champions League. May get Europa League. They'll be back in Europe in some some way, shape, or form. But that won't last. They'll have their dips, as young players all do, and they'll have another dip again. And so we, who's there to exploit that? We are. And that's the benefit. That's the benefit. As long as we have a good, strong end to the season, stay up comfortably, go out and spend not big, but sensibly, and spend on the right players to improve this team of what we're already producing right now. There is no reason why we can't make a significant jump. I'm not saying we will, but there's no reason why because you see it with West Ham. West Ham, before their season last season, West Ham only just stayed up with a few games to go. 
Yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden, the next season, they'll challenge him for Champions League. They went from one end of the table to the other. If they can do that, we can do it because we've got sustainable yeah. spending. We, we can sustain that level of spending and that attraction of players because we've got the money to do it. So if West Ham can go and do it with minimal spending, but a good unit and a good structure and a way of playing, there's no reason why we can't. I'm not saying we're going to challenge the Champions League, but there's no reason why we can't be at least looking, at least looking 10th place and up. No reason whatsoever. Because yeah. things change I, season to season. I, uh, no, I completely agree, Pete. And I think, do you know what? And it, whether it's COVID, whether it's, I don't know, I don't, maybe it's just the way that the, the league's evolved. I'm not sure. But it could even be the way football's evolved, really. Because I look at, I look at the other teams above us at the moment. And bar Man City and Liverpool, who, you know, I think bloody hell, they are they are levels above. You know, like we've just mentioned Tottenham. I look at the Tottenham team and I think minus Kane, minus Son. Is there any players in that Tottenham team that you look at and think, oh my God, I'd love him to join Newcastle? Because I don't. I look at Arsenal and I think one or two players, oh yeah, he'd be all right. Oh yeah, he'd do a job. Man United, same. And I, I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm thinking, you know, Jamie O'Hara said the, well, I think it was over a week ago, you know, Newcastle the, in the summer, they're just going to go out and spend 300 million on all new players. And I was thinking, we don't need to do that. Yeah. We we don't need to do that. If we sign three or four top quality players, and when I say top quality, I mean, you know, the likes of, um, the likes of Abuna Gomeres, or, but it doesn't have to be for 40 million. You know, like, look at Matty Target. We could be getting him permanently for 15 million. Look at Dan Byrne, 13 million. Yeah. If you bring in players, certain players to do a certain job and also you offload some players, we, we could end up spending 100, 120 million. And yeah. if you look at the, the, the difference in performance from January till now, uh, and then say we carry on with those levels of performance, what's to say next season we can't finish eighth or seventh or sixth? Why not? And the, the, the key that a lot of people forget, uh, and I don't mean us as fans, I mean people in the media when they talk about, like Jamie O'Hara, oh, they'll spend 300 million, they'll, be, they'll buy him, 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 all these top players. Um, you've got to remember, they questioned our transfer business in January yeah. because yeah. we didn't go and splash out those big money signings and pay these crazy prices for players. Um, you know, People were expecting us to pay 60 million for Diego Carlos. He's not worth 60 million. He wasn't even worth 40 million. And you know what? If we went in to get him in the summer, he wouldn't even be worth 30 million. We'd probably get end up getting him for 25. They the teams just kind of came in and you know tried to get as much money out of us as possible. There's there's an article out today by um Graham Bailey. Um uh, uh, um I can't remember the, the website now. Um but he he said um apparently um AC Milan are confident of buying not just Renato Sanchez but Sven Botman for a combined 40 million. We offered for the about them. We, yeah, for, for the both of them. They had a deal, AC Milan had a deal that fell through in January for Renato Sanchez for 25 million on his own. So these 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 prices that were getting banded around for players in January because of us, it was because of us, not because they're worth that amount of money. For me, for Botman, I'd have paid it because I think he's going to be worth it. Oh, yeah. Sanchez, 25 million, I think he's probably worth it in the long run. He's still only 24 years old. But if they can get him for a combined 40 million, there are players out there 
There are players out there that are either out of contract. I'm not talking about the the Pogba's or the 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 Haaland's and and, and Mbappe's and, and players like that. Um, although you know Haaland's on a sixty plus million pound contract release clause, but there are players on the last years of their contracts. There's the players out there that are running down their contract. For example, and it was mooted a couple of days ago, Marcus Rashford. Contract runs out 2023. In June, he's in his last year of his contract. So he either signs a new deal or he runs down his contract a little bit like Lingard. Perfect time in the summer to test their resolve, to say, yeah. come play for Newcastle. You'll be the main man here. You'll play every week. We're building a project. Not saying we're going to sign him, but it's players like that that are in their last years of their contract. We won't have to spend reams and reams on players because players in their last year of their contract... A club needs to decide they either keep him and see him out of his contract or we sell him at a cut price deal and at least get something for him. We've already proven in January that we can exploit that with the likes of um, Dan Byrne, with the likes of Trippier and exploit situations that players are in. That you know, We can do that again in January. Yeah, and absolutely. we can probably get away with, and it's, it's been mooted already, that we could probably get away with spending about 80, 90, even 100 million and getting in four or five players, maybe one or two on free contracts, one or two in the last year of their contract, and then one big player that we're prizing away from a team that maybe yes. has to be I've got to pay big bucks. That we have to pay big money, exactly, like a yeah. Bruno Damaris, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. There'll be a player like that. And you know what? I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that all day long. That's a, no, that's do you know what? a sustainable way of, yeah, of, yeah. of making your money. Absolutely, absolutely spot on on what you say. And it, it's it's interesting because I think I think you're right. And one of the questions, and we're going to get to the questions at the end of the show. One of the questions mm. is about whether you know we will splash the cash and get that big marquee striker, which is probably where the money will go. But you, you you're spot on. There's so many bargains to be had out there. And let's be honest, in January when we spent what was it around ninety million, yeah. we we were the top spenders in Europe. So imagine in the summer if we go and spend another hundreds, hundred and twenty million. Are there, are there really going to be clubs out there, Peter, who are topping that? I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe the likes of Real, if they do another funny deal with the government and end up getting, you know, um, extra money from elsewhere. Who knows? But the, it, certainly in the Premier League, Chelsea aren't going to be doing it. Man United haven't got the money to do it. Tottenham aren't going to be doing it. So, and Liverpool, we we know over the last few years, Pete, what what big money have Liverpool spent out on? The only reason they got Diaz. Yeah, go get Nunes. Go get Nunes. The only reason they spent money on Diaz is because Tottenham went in for Diaz. And what did they pick him up for? Was it twenty five million? Uh, yeah, twenty five yeah. million was uh, it? It wasn't mega, mega, mega no, no. money. What was it? Wasn't huge money? Yeah, it wasn't huge money. Uh, I can't remember yeah. the transfer fee actually. I could be wrong. But, but, I could be wrong. Right. Saying twenty five. I thought it. I thought it was twenty five. It, it might have been a bit. More. It might have been a bit more than that. It might have been. Uh, you know about Diaz for Liverpool. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm right, I think I could be wrong. It might have been about the 40 million mark, but right. it was banded about because there was a bit of a to and throw. Yeah. Um, and it's they, January. They, they initially wanted 65. So I think yeah. they've come down on their price because Tottenham then came in with a bid and they thought they'd get a bit of a bidding war. But because Diaz has said, I wanted to go to Liverpool, it's kind of thrown that out of the water. Yeah. But, you know, the big, big signing, you know, he, he, he was probably on the list of a lot of clubs. Um, so I think I think gone are the days at all these 70, 80, 90 million signings, you know, like the likes of your Pogba's, your Romelu Lukaku's. It just it just won't happen. It, it really won't happen. 
Um, right, Pete, I'm going to take a moment to go through the sponsors. Now, everyone's going to have to bear with me on this because, one, I haven't done the sponsors for a long, long time. And, two, I, I think I uh, I got into the habit of having the video. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to bear with me. And if any of the sponsors are watching, I promise I'm doing my best. Okay. So, first big shout-out is to SpiderVPN. The lads, the lads you can trust in terms of your internet protection. If you go on Google and you search these lads, they will come up at the top of your internet search bar. Um, so yeah, Spider VPN, cracking bunch of lads. Got to meet them actually on the uh, NUFC Matters Night or one of them anyway. Really nice bunch of lads. And yeah, if you, so if you're looking for your internet security, they are the ones to trust. We then have Skips and Bins, and they can be found on the website address, www.skipsandbins.com, telephone number 0800 25 25 free, email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, easy contract free, and pay-as-you-go waste collection. And there in the bottom right, we have Sir Bobby, who is always there. Okay, next sponsor, we have a big thank you to LNG Family Funeral Directors. They can be contacted on 0191 389 7245. My favourite one to pronounce, the Guarding of Healing Dispensary. CBD hemp and cannabinoid specialists. Visit www.thegohd.com. We then have Arcot Interiors for all your kitchen needs. Get onto the website. Um, uh, Arcot Interiors, and they will be there if you're looking for any kind of help with your kitchens. They're the ones to go to. We then have QTechShop.co.uk. Our good friend John Justice Allen is in the chat. Big hello to John. And QTech Shop can be contacted for all your pool and snooker tables, and they are based in Wall's End. We then have the new sponsor, which I've not read out before, Clickai, and they do Cleavon game and meet the new game over screen, dropping to a Clee Cly a Clee. <laughs> I'm terrible at the pronunciation of this. Dropping to a Cleavon device near you. So new sponsors, Cleavon.game. So if you haven't already, get yourself on the App Store and have a look for them also on Google Play. Big shout out as always to Jab Signature, who do all the posters and flyers for the show. They've been they've been with us since day one, haven't they? But yeah top lads at jab signature and um, don't forget to check out their website as well where they have their clothing range media art big thank you to them for all the videos that they produce for the show it's much appreciated lads and if you haven't already have a little look at the bottom right of your screen and don't forget to subscribe so newcastle legends um is the website and don't forget to like all of the videos make sure you keep them comments coming in because we absolutely love them and don't forget to share it on your social media platforms which i know our good friend paul gallant does and it's much appreciated so yeah if you think you've got friends or family who would like to watch the show please feel free to share it and don't forget to like the show as well i know i've mentioned that before but the more likes we get it's good for the algorithms so please uh, make sure you do that don't forget if you're catching up uh, well if you can't watch the show live and you want to catch up you can do so on itunes and spotify so please don't forget that you will be able to find myself and pete and the other shows that steve does through uh, the week all on itunes and spotify if you haven't become a nufc matters cult member why not um use the code on the screen at the moment now and you can become a member of the cult 
this is the package that it includes so you've got your mugs your pens your scarves and we'll be able to hook it up with that don't forget the dog and parrot music drinks pool that's uh, the the pub that steve uh, steve rafe often goes to and also malcolm mcdonald's they do a pre-match and a post-match so if you're interested before the game or after the game get yourselves down there and don't forget the newcastle fans food bank the match day bucket we've got quite a few away games coming up at the moment but don't forget the match day bucket is still um ongoing and it is open at all times so if you if you're interested um or if you'd like to donate please do so it's nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and finally we're there um i can't do a show without mentioning my <laughs> without mentioning the uh mine and pete show the uh losers hq um myself pete vich daz and mart um as you know we run our we run our own show as well so if you're not subscribed please do so if you want to hear more of me and pete you know where to go it's loaded hq and i think that's everything so Ooh. i hope that was all right pete yeah yeah it's one of them and he's just relieved <laughs> to get through it i hope i hope i've done it justice i hope i remembered most of everything so, um, yeah i'm gonna get on our final guest of the evening pete and then i think we're gonna hit some questions so big huge massive welcome to the one and only jeff how you doing jeff good evening guys you okay hi pete <laughs> hi, well, what mate. a weekend, eh? Mm. Where do you want to start? Um, uh, let's it, start man. with Southampton. Let's let's start from the beginning, shall we? Southampton. Um, I thought they gave us the best game we've had so far. I thought tactically they were very subtle. They tried quite hard. Um, certainly better than Chelsea. Chelsea were disappointing, I thought, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, they managed to compress the game. They sort of nullified our press by playing right up the field. Um, uh, which opened them up to being broken on, which was quite nice. I thought we all played very well. Um, it's and it's it's getting difficult to pick a man of the match, isn't it? I mean, you could say, well, who made the least mistakes, right? <laughs> who made the most mistakes? <laughs> uh, yes, hello, Jimmy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One day about tell you about the film, and Jimmy and I were going to make. Um, <laughs> Do I want to know? Hello. No. No. no hey. Uh, yeah, that's a different. That's, that's a story and a half. Yes. Um, uh, well, we we're forcing them to kick it long and stuff. It was great. <laughs> yes. um, so, um, I, I don't know what to say about that other than it was it was just just ironic irony run wild, uh, Southampton, and um, yeah, I, I thought he was a good manager. I thought he'd done he'd done his homework. Uh, but just Eddie Howe's better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I agree. They, they have a better squad. You were absolutely, you were absolutely right. Squad. I and thought Southampton played really well. They did play and really well. You're gets, right. And it gets better when we end up at Chelsea with, you know, a, a team that, you know, what for want of a couple of players, um, Mr. Bruce might have put out. And we'd have all gone, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we oh, will. no. Right. Yeah. Where's all the good players going on? And they actually took them out. Yeah, they man. they nullified them. They they were trying to play out from the back, and we were pressing them, and you know they were trying to put it. We kept pushing them in the middle, and they were playing, trying to get through the middle. And of course, there's no space in there. It was a tactical masterclass from Mister uh, Mister Howe, I'm afraid. And um, it's a shame we didn't win. But who said life's fair? 
right in a sense. Um, and Jimmy made a very good point that made me uh, think again. Uh, I'd never thought of it in this way. Um, uh, we'll all be aware of the sort of golf club level of power in this country. Right? <laughs> a certain fraternity that we tend to meet at the golf club. Um, and it all has a rather strange feel about it. It is a bit of a sort of tight little world that they live in. And um, uh, it suddenly occurred to me, yeah, mm. <laughs> there are reasons they might all, you know, think the same way or, you know, cooperate slightly. I mean, I'm not a big, a, a big conspiracy theorist, but there's an awful lot of money involved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's huge Absolutely. amounts of money involved. And you'd hate to see it go the way of boxing sometimes. Sometimes you look at boxing and you think, I really hardly worth watching this if they're going to do that. If you know what yeah. I mean? If you're going to screw up boxing matches the way that can happen. Um, uh, and we'd hope that football will be on this. Uh, getting back to the whole money side of it, you're so right about the, the value of players, right? Because uh, you take one of the components away. Chelsea are not going to be throwing money around, okay? Uh, and suddenly you're stuck with players. You need to have that exchange of, I'll buy a 50 million player off you if you'll buy a 50 million player off me. And, you know, round and round the, you know, the shell, it's like a shell game, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the war uh, and various other horrible things that have happened Right, it's going to stop that shell game, and people are going to start looking under that shell and going, "There's nothing there." Right? Yeah. There's just a bunch of gears going round and round and round. They've got more gears than an F1 racer. Some of these clubs, Manchester United, thank you very much. And eventually, it's going to affect the way you play. And I do not want to become one of the big six. Um, I want us to be who we are, and I want us to hold the game open for everybody else. Right, we've got to remember where we came from. Yeah, and right, how the big six tried to stop us. Yeah. Right, and we've got to be anti-cartel. We've got to be open. Right, we want, we don't want to restrict access to things up there's, You know, um, football is a very inclusive game on every level, and we mustn't let it go get silly in any way. Um, silly, and it already is. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not going to say anything about the refereeing performance. It was it was pretty bloody awful. Um, and the other aspect of it is so much of the discussion is about the politics, right? And I think the thing to do, and listening to people like um, uh, Simon Simon Jordan, is it? I can't remember. Is it's named after some model somewhere? And there's, <laughs> there's Danny Danny Carpet Mills. Um, and uh, going back to a certain a certain hag lady who who had something to say about the oxygen of publicity, um, I've done some of our older demographic remember that. I think she was talking about um, uh, Jerry Hall or or somebody like that or Brian Adams, somewhere something like that. Um, starving these people of the oxygen of publicity. I think some of them have been starved of oxygen at birth already, to be quite honest. Um, but just don't. They don't put these stories out for the benefit of Sheffield Wednesday fans, right? Yeah. Or anybody else. They want right. us to click on it, right? Don't click them. Ignore them. They'll go away. Yeah. Because they'll see their own their own matrix. And if people aren't following up on their stories or commenting, it's very easy to generate a comment. You know, oh, we've lost a game. Maybe we should get reconsider having, you know, Mr. Howe as our manager. You know, <laughs> you know. Put that out there. Lots of people, you know, it's just nonsense. 
and I'm sick of it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy the tactical battle, Pete? Um, I did uh, for both games. In fact, yeah. Um, I, I, I I talked about it on the load of reactions for both, but I actually really enjoyed um, having a manager that tactically is able to go up against other tactically gifted managers, um, yeah. and I think that's why. Um, it, it's so intriguing and so enjoyable to have a manager like Eddie Howe because I think, and I think Eddie Howe's enjoying being a Newcastle manager because he's is a big enough club to to go up against some of these top teams and really kind of give them a game. When he was doing it at Bournemouth, it was like a big shock, and you know it was a little bit harder for him to 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 put his stamp on some um, on some of their their performances. But he can with Newcastle because we've got the fan base behind us, the support. You know, he's got the quality of play, player, the stature of the club, and he's doing it. And you know, Ralph Hasenhut thought he would he would tactically get the better uh, of anyhow, and he didn't. Tactically, no. we had them nailed down from early on. Yes, they had a lot of the ball. Southampton did, but for long parts of the game, they didn't actually create too much clear cut. They got the goal, yeah. which I think was lucky. It barred the deflection off Burn. It, it doesn't go in. They had a couple of hard chances, but but things that we were able to deal with. But tactically, we grew into the game. And that was the plan, is to grow into the game, get stronger as the game got, went on. And as we got stronger, they got more tired. And eventually they ran out of ideas and we had already killed the game by then. With with Thomas Tuchel, I, I loved that battle because mentally, in Tuchel's mind, he was already thrown before kickoff, and we've talked about it before. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. it completely changed tactic. And, and part of it was because he had to. Yeah, because of, because of the lack of players, but the way in which we played in that system, and we've talked about it before, under Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez, it was very defensive-minded. That performance on Sunday was yeah. not a defensive-minded performance. Yeah. We did tire towards the end, but the way in which we pressed them, I loved it. I loved the panic on Mendy <laughs> and yeah. on, on, on one or two other players' faces. Um, I think Christiansen. Whenever they had the ball and we had Murphy running at them, and we were on running at them, Wood pressing them, pressing the yeah. crap out of them. Target was cool. Target was played as a winner for most of the time. <laughs> great thing, honestly. He was, he was. From a goal kick, he was up there playing as a left winger. You had um, Mankilio playing as a right winger. It was great to see. And you know what? And did you see Pete? Go on, go on. I'll let you know what I love. To, uh, just to point out that target thing before I forget it. Did you see Ziek? I think Target took Ziek out, and Ziek went to the referee and was like, "He's done that yeah. three times." But you could just <laughs> tell my target was just told, "Just keep leaving one on him. Yeah. Just keep going at him, and don't give him a minute." And he don't like it because he didn't get any time to play on the ball. That's yeah. what it is. That's what yeah. they all want. Have, have they a... used to play. They used to be stood off, and people yes. standing back and admiring yeah. them, and, and falling back on. No, we pressed them and it puts them off their game. Um, you know, they it also wastes an awful lot of time. It's spent yeah. in the corners uh, pressing them and they're trying to pass it out. We're busy pressing them. Then they kick us and when somebody goes down for two minutes, and there's a lot of very constructive time wasting, I thought, there. Um, and every time the people get too much momentum, we take a bit of time out of the game by going down. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, it was a very interesting... Uh, it's a shame it went wrong, but you know we deserved the point, uh, and we could, you know, if it had, if the referee hadn't been, you know, just as bad as he was. Because the other point about the referee, there are two other guys on the pitch, a part of a team, aren't they? I mean, yeah. where was the uh, 
you know, where was the linesman? What we used to, sorry, the assistant referee, you know, what's going on there? And as soon as we move to a, you know, a system like rugby, you know, we get a more open system. I can't imagine it ever happening where they actually have a discussion and everyone knows what's going on and everyone is very respectful of the referee. It's a whole different culture. And when you think that cricket, the way it embraced technology and incorporated technology in a way that, you know, what an old fashioned game cricket is, you know, what a conservative old fashioned idea cricket is mm. absolutely gone wholeheartedly for the technology full on, you know, you don't, don't it half-heartedly you either do it, or you don't. And they've done it very well, I think. And it's enhanced the game. Um, what the media's done at the game hasn't enhanced cricket, but anyway, that's another story. Um, no, so I'm very optimistic. And you're right about the players, right? What he's done with this squad is extraordinary. I mean, anybody, you know, can't see uh, how he can just, you know, lose our best players and still play. What would John Joe Selvey have done on that field? And that ball that uh, uh, was put in for the Chelsea goal almost as good as the one that John Joe Shelby put in for Woods goal. Yeah. Yeah. It was that quality of ball, right? Yeah, it was. We can do that. John Joe Shelby can do that, right? And we've seen him do it. And as for the goal that Bruno scored, you know, <laughs> tremendous. And we've had it. I mean, I haven't wanted to talk about individual players because who would you give man of the match to? It's always difficult. I mean, I wanted to give it to Shah because just it's about time somebody acknowledged just what a hell of a job he does. But you could say that about any of our players, couldn't you? You just got to acknowledge lots of good performances. They're all doing their best. It's a shame they haven't, you know, they haven't necessarily got the, the fantastic skill set. But you know, Bruno was more than a match for Conte. He made Conte's life really bloody difficult. Mocked him at the game, Jeff. Mocked him at yeah. the game. Bruno Gamerius was told to do a specific job, so you didn't see yeah. him all action on the ball, possession. He's going to have games like that. There'll, there'll be yeah. other games. Wednesday, th sorry, Thursday evening against Everton, he'll probably have more time on the ball. Oh, he'll, have, he'll have a field day. He'll, he'll have day. a field day. He'll be able to really dictate the play with, with possession of the ball. Like he had, he had pockets of that against Southampton, but Sunday, yesterday was not that type of game. He was told to do a specific job and he did it to an absolute T. He is a tremendously talented player. But I've got a question for both of you. Not about Bruno, about somebody else. Our big bastard at the back, big Dan Byrne. Does he get an Indian call-up or not? On, well, the Jones connection. If I'm going to go first, Jones. We've got an interesting connection there with Jones, right? Mm. I think... And Trippier, of course. But we have got that connection, which brings me on to something else I've been thinking about in terms of transfers, which you were hinting at as well. There are a lot of players hanging around in the Septic Six in their squads that are there to make up the numbers, to make up basically the British numbers, effectively. And it hasn't done their careers any good. They've been, I think, neglected. They haven't necessarily been fitted into the squad as to whether they've been bought just so we can have, you know, an England international, et cetera, et cetera, on the books. Uh, and some of them have booked for the seem to have been bought, uh, bought for the photo opportunity sometimes. Um, uh, so there is a lot of talent out there, and someone like Eddie Howe could get a lot more out of them. So yeah, um, this time round, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I would. Uh, I don't. I, I sort of resent our players going off to play internationals. <laughs> well, like you said, because they get bloody to... injured and stupid yeah. things like that happen. You know? Yeah. Oh no. Um, yeah. You know, not that I was a fan of Michael Owen, but it certainly didn't do his career any good. Um, yeah, so Chris, 
Go yeah, on, do, do you know what? It's an, it's an interesting one. Um, do I think he deserves it? Absolutely. And when I look at other players playing in his position in the England squad, as have him over a few of them, Harry Maguire being the main one, John <laughs> Stones Harry. who can't, John John Stones who's not who hardly gets a game. I'm actually watching him now. Um, oh, yeah. oh my god! Well, what am I doing scored. here? I could be watching. He nearly, he nearly scored. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, but he doesn't play regularly for Man City. Um, yeah. You've got Joe Gomez who can't can't string a, a run of games together either because he can't get in the team or because he's always injured. Um, so I do I do look round and then you know obviously you've got Connor Cozy. Um, you could you could argue that Dan Burns performed better than Connor Cozy over over yeah. the last what eight nine games. You could you could argue that. Um, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of any others who who potentially be above him. But he's got he's got to be in the he's got to be in the considerations surely yeah he's got to he's got to be in the conversation he has to be and if he does miss out as Jeff says um you know surely in the future but I tell you what the you know when you get when you build these World Cup squads you'd always like to take players don't you who are either utility players who can play in a couple of positions or players who kind of stand out because they've got a particular attribute and what better yeah. attribute than being six foot seven yeah height. Height is that's the thing you we've know? got now. Yeah, everybody's trying to kick it, kick it long against us. I've got a fucking hope. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and set pieces, which brings us on to Everton, uh, who I imagine will carry on doing what they've been doing all uh, since Frank took over is kicking their way down the league. Um, they'll be giving away free kicks around the box and having big, tall blokes is going to be very useful. Um, yeah. I hope, I hope we've got, um, uh, Shelby back because uh, you know his dead ball skills will be useful. Yeah, uh, because they're going to concede free kicks around because that's what they do. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> that's basically their their methodology is to kick people at the moment. Um, as soon as somebody goes past them, they kick them. Um, then the the whole structure of marking is appalling. <laughs> it's just you know they they. I, I'm afraid uh, big Frank Lampoon's not up to it. I'm afraid. Um, on the on the subject of Everton, Jeff, um, just before, because we'll have to wrap up, but on, on the subject of Everton, um, what do you think the score will be? And also, as an add-on to that, um, do you think the starting 11 will change dramatically? Uh, uh, yes, uh, and 2-0 to us. Yeah. I, I can't see them scoring. Um, and I do think there'll be a bit of a swap around. I don't... I, it, you know, we don't know much about the illness thing, and I'm 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 up for that. I'm I'm up for Eddie Harry, Eddie Howe giving nothing away. Yeah, not give even them, to us. Give them, give it's them not our business. We'll find yeah. out, same as they find out, right? Yeah. Um, and the more <laughs> the more doubt we create in people's minds, the better. It's bound yeah. to this. It's down to the nutmeg, isn't it? Which way they go to go? And unfortunately, the opposition have been fairly predictable, right? They've they've kept doing the same old things to us. Uh, even though it doesn't work, first sign of madness. <laughs> it's, um, it's doing the same thing over and over again, even though it doesn't work. And still thinking that somehow next time it will work. <laughs> uh, IT are full of people like that. It's really strange. <laughs> but Jeff, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, mate. And we love speaking to you every week. Um, but massive, massive thank you for coming on. In fact, Jeff, I haven't done any of these tonight, but I'm going to give oh, you one because right. I oh, really, I'm... really enjoyed that, Jeff. There <laughs> right, you go. Cheers. Here and... it comes. Thank you, Jeff. Yes. Cheers, Pete.
Cheers. Best organic urine. <laughs> Looks delicious. That's very good. Oh, yeah. It's very good. I've only got one kidney. I have to use someone else's urine. Yeah. So oh. I've taken advice on this. <laughs> <laughs> Off Jimmy. Yeah. I'll you brandy. I'll take the Jimmy joke film. next time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> take care, Jeff. Bye. See you later, mate. Come on, take care. Funny that. Goodness me. <laughs> he, always, he always surprises us with something. He does. He does. Love yeah. it. Do you know what, Pete? I'm going to ask you a quick question before we go to the questions because yeah, I am okay. conscious. I think I I think I interrupted your your uh, flow before, you know, when you were talking about the uh, the tactical the tactical battle with Chelsea. And I know you spoke briefly about um, you know, about Bruno and how you felt that, you know, he was doing a job on Kante and I completely agree. I mean, one thing that stood out to me, not 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 just um, you know, that that tactical battle with uh Kante and Bruno, but you do sometimes, you know, when you when you, you're obviously watching your team and then you see other teams, you do start to appreciate other players, don't you? And I must admit, like I, I thought, Kante, there, there was moments where Kante was doing stuff, and I was thinking, wow, you can see, you can see why managers rate him so highly. You know, like the way some people say that, like he does two jobs for one, like he's yeah. two players in one. He, he is literally everywhere. But the fact that Bruno did such a good job on him, I mean, it. it, it you know, it was it was a really really good performance from Bruno, even though he probably won't get the headlines for this particular game. Yeah, the the, the role that he played was kind of like where it's one of those roles that you do for the team where you're not going to get the plaudits for it. Yeah. A lot of people probably wouldn't have even noticed that that it was even happening during the game. Um, and this is this is how tactically aware saw like Bruno Gomerius is. Like, if you know. Conte, and you've said it yourself, Chris. You're absolutely right. He basically is two players in one because he he can he can sit deep and win the ball um, from deep areas, but um, at the same time, um, he he's a he's the type of player that likes to drive forward with the ball. So he was yeah. the only midfielder for long parts of that game, the only Chelsea midfielder, should I say, that was trying to drive forward with the ball and really create something. Kovacic came on and did something similar later on in the game when he came on a sub. But Kante, for long parts, was the only one that was able to do that. But Bruno Gamera is just sitting on him and just kind of following around the midfield and making sure that he wasn't able to get on the ball and drive and have the joy that he could normally have. That stopped him. That stopped him playing his normal game. And you could see he was having to think about his positioning and where he was standing and where Bruno Gamera's was, unlike normal, where he can just go and play his game and not worry yeah, about it. So it was a yeah. really distinctive role that he played that stopped him playing for long parts. And actually, it was parts of the second half that actually became kind of a non a non talking point. Like he he became like ineffective effectively towards the latter stage of the game because he wasn't able to do what he needed to do. Um and yeah, that's massive, massive credit to to, to Bruno Gomeris for for that role. He, he he was fantastic. Yeah. And I, I hope I hope I'm sure this probably isn't the case, Pete, but I'm I'm hoping uh, you know, that certain pundits watch that game. And I'm hoping that Steve Bruce watched that game. And like you like you rightly said when you were talking about the match before, have we ever seen in the last what four, five, six years, even under Benitez, I include this, a more attacking performance from a, a five-two-three formation. Like the, the players were so drilled so well. And it wasn't just a case of oh, we'll just park the bus. 
which some 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 people were the fourth. And to be fair, you know, when I seen five at the back, I thought, yeah, we're going to keep this tight. You know, we're going to yeah. we're going to uh, make sure that we soak up, you know, all the all the pressure from Chelsea. But now we literally just went at them, didn't we? And all all it was about was just m- making sure that we were secure. But we still played our game. And like Eddie Howe says when he when he you know when he first came in, he goes out every single match to win the game. He doesn't go out to think right nil nil today. Or, or let's keep the scoreline down. He's constantly trying to win football matches, and that that's that's to be admired, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's, it's part of his it's part of his makeup. He he came to the club saying that he wanted to play front foot football, and we we loved to hear that. But again, there was worries from from journalists, from fans, thinking okay, front foot football is great, but he's a guy, he's a manager that concedes a lot of goals. At the teams that he at Bournemouth, the team that he was at previously, so there's question marks there. What he's done is he's been able to use that experience, and we talked about it when um, Chris Woff came on our, our loaded show. Is that what he's been able to do is use the experience that he's had when he had that 18 months period off where he went to Italy and watched Maurizio Sarri when he went to Atletico Madrid to see Trippier and look at Simeone, one of the best defensive um, tacticians out there. And then he, he spent time with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Those three managers all offer something different. So Maurizio Sarri has got dynamic players that like to make dynamic runs on the pitch. You've got Simeone, who I've already said, defensively outstanding the way he sets up his team. And you've got Jurgen Klopp, who's the king of press. Um, he his teams love to press press high. Salah, Mane, Firmino love to press Jordan Henderson from midfield. Like he's basically gone to those three managers and started to create his Newcastle team based on all three of their traits. He's basically yeah. put that together because we've got the defensive solidity. We've got those dynamic runs that the likes of Joe Linton and um, uh, and um, Joe Willett makes um, and, and the likes of Fraser. Um, but then you've got that that press as well from Fraser, Murphy, Chris Wood at the top of the three. He's been able to kind of build that and make it something really, really special. So he's he's um, he's doing a fantastic job. He really, really is. Yeah. I agree, mate. I'm gonna I'm gonna whiz through a couple of the uh, questions and comments uh, that the viewers have been making since we've been live. So again, big thank you to everyone for you know p- putting these comments in. Uh, Tom Lynch said pretty early on, looks like Chelsea are being bought by the state-owned Saudi media group, which is interesting. A bit, have you heard anything about that today, Pete? I must admit, yeah. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, fr- friend of um, friend of the channel and UFC matters and loaded. Um, ben Jacobs uh, confirmed that, that a bid. Uh, today, a bit had gone through. Um, I think um, there's obviously been a, a, a number of talking points with regards to this particular bid. Um, from what Ben Jacobs has said, there's actually a, a PIF have still got um, still got shares within the Saudi media group. So I'm not sure how that works. Um, as well as that, uh, I think Gary Neville's had a lot to say about this tonight. There was somebody else uh, in the chat uh, earlier on as well, as mentioned, uh, Gary Milliken um, has said, Gary Nelson just come out and said that he would be amazed if Saudi TV company are allowed to buy um, Chelsea. Um, and I'm inclined to agree. I would be surprised if, I mean, the Premier League clubs kicked off, including Chelsea, kicked off when we 
had PIF as part of our consortium that came in and brought Newcastle United, I would be shocked if they then allow a second Saudi ownership to come into the Premier League. And I'd be even more shocked if they allowed them to come in as quickly as what it's potentially um, kind of projected to be. And it's going to be, you know, it, it could be a turnaround in days potentially I'm talking like maybe a couple of weeks it could potentially be turned around now you think of how long we've pushed for this deal for, for Newcastle to go through the best part of you know 18 months two years and they get it done in a matter of days that 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 raises a hell of a lot of questions oh. um and I don't think I don't think I don't think a lot of Premier League clubs would, would, would allow it because that would see significant power come to you know, not just Man City, who are all very already very powerful, but Chelsea would sustain their powers and depending on how much money these owners have got, could actually make them stronger. And then you've got Newcastle that are waiting in the wings that are that are climbing the table. Man United are gonna be happy with that? No. Arsenal, no. You've already talked about Tottenham tonight, Chris. No chance are they gonna be happy. And then you've yeah. got the other teams in and around things, the likes of um Everton, who are literally fine, uh, teaching on the, the likes of financial um, mess at this moment in time. You've got yeah. West Ham, who have got new owners, but nothing like what we've got. Um, Wolves. And, and Wolves uh, are another one. Um, great in the Portuguese market, but other than that, not really anything else. And then you've got Leicester that like to buy young. Um, they've got money, but they like to buy young, but certainly haven't got the firepower that anyone else has. That pushes all of them down the pecking order, no. moves us up the table and, and, and keeps Chelsea right bang at the top. I don't think they're going to accept it, and I think they'll kick off, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it transpires. It, it could all change with regards to, because they're a top six club, they might be treated differently. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. I agree. We also have a comment in here from BT, which is a really interesting one. Um, do you think that the support of the Ukraine will have any effect on the food banks all over the UK? Or are we a country that supports the good of the world? Very deep, very deep question there from BT, but an interesting one. Uh, I think it could have an effect on the food banks. because I think there's a, there's a potential for... Um, things to be kind of prioritised with, with Ukraine, and it sounds horrible yeah, okay. to say that, but okay. because it's the biggest talking point at the moment, um, they they ultimately will, will start to be prioritised above anything else, which will see, which will po possibly see food banks and things um, come under kind of like uh, intense struggles at some point. I don't. I've not heard of anything to say that that's the case now. Certainly not in Leicester. Um, yeah. I, you know, where I work, we, we've got uh, we've got a link to our local food bank that uh, the, the kids that that I work with supply every every, every half term. We we put some uh, food and stuff and we take it over. They've not raised any concerns from our point of view in Leicester, but um, and I've not heard anything in particular from Newcastle. I don't know what it's like in Liverpool, Chris. So I don't think it's it's halting things at the moment, but I think the longer this goes on, the longer this war goes on, and the longer that it takes to find some form of peace, I think it could have a detrimental effect um, in the long term, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Pete. I think, um, 
like you, I've not heard of any, you know, um, I've not heard of any impact so far, but ultimately you're absolutely right. Um, if it continues, I'm sure it will have an impact on the likes of, you know, the UK food banks uh, and whether people think that's right or wrong. I mean, that that's open to opinion, but um, I mean, what's going on in Ukraine at the moment is absolutely, absolutely terrible. And uh, obviously, you know, feel for all the families and relatives and things like that who are, who are linked to that. Um, and hopefully, sooner rather than later, um, a line's drawn under it or something happens where the, you know, there's a ceasefire because it is, it's, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Waking up every morning and seeing the news and hearing stories. It's just, it's really not good. And I don't think anybody ever thought that in this day and age we'd be doing things like this, but. Hopefully, hopefully things get resolved sooner or later anyway. But great, great question, BC. Um, Jordy Tune for Life. Oh, sorry, go on, Pete, go on. No, no, go on. I, I, I asked that question. I've got a question for you that I was going to Oh, go on, me. mate. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a really interesting one. We don't really know the answer. Um, but Jordy Tune for Life asks, serious question, lads. Who is actually in charge of a Premier League football match? Is it the ref or is it VAR? I honestly don't know anymore. Well, I'll start that one off, Jordy Tune for Life. I don't know the answer either. Um, you would think it's the referee with the assistance of VAR, um, but it now feels like VAR's in charge and the referee does whatever VAR tells him to do because um, now they're not even asking, well, not now, but in most cases, they're not even asking the referee to go and have a look at the screen. Um, I thought the whole idea of VAR was so that they could overturn decisions that are incorrect or that they could flag to the referee, listen, you might just want to have a look at a couple more angles here because I've seen five or six angles and it's not as clear cut as what you're suggesting, but that doesn't appear to be the case. No. Uh, what about you, I Pete? No, no, I agree. Um, I think it should be the referee and the you know, bar are there to support when needed, um, particularly in the two situations on Sunday. But I think the referees are bottling it at the moment and they are letting and making the VAR they are making VAR make the big decisions so they don't have to. So yeah, if you look at it, it. Yeah, they, they, they really are. So if you look at it today, all the talk is on VAR and not the referee. All the talk is on VAR and not the referee. The referee is protected by the fact that he, he wasn't in a position to see the penalty. He, he He's hiding behind that fact. He's hiding behind the fact that VAR have not asked him to go and see the monitor. So VAR get the stick. Uh, but but who is VAR? You can blame the referee that, that's behind VAR, but ultimately he doesn't have to face anything up. Um, so he doesn't have to face anything. And he's then on the pitch doing another game midweek. I'm sure he'll be refereeing again at, at the weekend, FA Cup maybe, and all's forgotten. Yeah. So it's a perfect foil to protect the referee, to stop yeah. him from getting stick. And this is yeah. this is what it comes down to: is that there has to be something where they have to um, take responsibility for their bad decisions. And I think someone yesterday was talking about how maybe in, in rugby or in NFL or something like that, where they actually have to justify their decisions after the game. It might even be rugby where they have to come out and justify what decision they've made and talk it through. We don't have anything like that in football. If we could, and we should, because it happens in other sports, so no reason why it shouldn't happen in football. Um, because of that, they don't have to justify themselves. Uh, and so it leaves everything wide open. And this is why we're all very frustrated today and still talking about it. It's not good enough. It really isn't. No, it's not. Ruins the game, Pete. Really does. Um, sorry, go on, Pete. What was your question for me? Okay, so uh, 
Let me find it now. DMAC has said, how long before a team takes legal action after getting relegated through a contentious decision? So it links on to what we've just been talking about. But I think it's a great question. It's a great question. There. At what point, uh, when, when does it happen? So we've had the the Sheffield United West Ham from years ago with the Carlos Tevez um, Mascherano yeah. incident. Uh, we could have potentially had it again when... Um, the goal that never was with Villa. Yeah, the, yeah, the goal that never was. It, it was Aston Villa-Sheffield United game. Um, or oh, the goal that should have been. <laughs> yeah, the goal that should have been because it was clearly and, over the line. The watch wasn't working. Yeah. And you look at Aston Villa now with Steven Gerrard, Leon Bailey, um, Danny Ings, all those top players uh, yeah. in, their, yeah. in, in their club playing very, very well. If that goal had stood and VAR would have looked at it, which they should have, and said, actually, that's over the line, that's a goal. Aston Villa would be probably still playing championship football right now. Yeah. And I, I, I'd say, well, they, they, they wouldn't have. They've got Philip Coutinho in the team. Mm. It's it's just, it's unreal, isn't it? They, they, just wouldn't, they wouldn't be anywhere near it. They wouldn't be, the, the, seven or eight of those players wouldn't even be in the squad. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they'd have like of Martinez, Singol, Watkins. All those players would have moved on yeah. by now. Um, so, yeah, it's, no, it's absolutely right. And, it's it's a shame because I, I do feel for the club who ends up being on the wrong side of it, and hopefully it's not us, um, but somebody could be. And like we say, we're not talking about you know small decisions where you know you go, oh, okay, didn't get you know didn't get that throw in or didn't go whatever. Some of these decisions are match match you know match winning decisions, aren't they? And when they when they're just completely wrong, um, when you've got this tool, when it like I said before, when you've got this tool, that should not be happening. And the fact that it is still happening. It makes it worse. Definitely. In and you think you look at how tight it is down that bottom end at the moment. Not not with us in particular, because we're a number of points clear. And I think we'll be, you know, a couple of wins away and we, I think we're we're safe. I think if we win on Thursday, I think we're we're safe in my opinion. Because I don't think we'll catch anyone will catch us on thirty four points. But you look at some of those teams and how tight it is down there. I mean, Everton and uh, I think Watford are, are only separated on goal difference. You've got Burnley a point behind them. There could be a situation between now and the end of the season yeah. where yeah, a contentious, poor VAR decision screws over a team like that. How are good people going to react if Everton get relegated? on a contentious decision. They could go back to that Man City one where they got a, a phone call apology. Audrey. Yeah, the Rodri situation. That yeah. could effectively be a point that potentially relegates them at the end of the season. And all they got for that is a phone call. Could that be legal action there? In that they admitted they made a mistake and yet... Everton have got relegated for it. Like it's 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 a great question and probably needs a little bit of more deep sort of conversation on it because it is a big talking point. You could go back to loads of decisions, and I'm sure there'll yeah. be more in the future. Yeah, there probably will be, and this is it. You know, the, these decisions, and now because we have them in the past, it was just a case of oh, the referee didn't see it. Oh, yeah, it was unlucky that you know the referee saw it differently. But now because it's scrutinised and because people are watching it over and over and over again, I mean, some stadiums, Pete, and correct me if I'm wrong, but some stadiums play the footage, don't they, after it happens, and you can see fans watching it. So are people then going to be turning around and going, well, hang on, that that's wrong. You need to go back. Are people going to be demanding for the match to be replayed? Are people going to be demanding saying, well, 
I want two extra points or I'm going to sue you for this or I'm going to sue you for that. Where, where do you draw the line? Great point. Really is. It's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because as we say, it, it, it works out. I think the, the championship playoff game is worth somewhere in the region of 140 million to yeah. the team that goes up. It's and if you lose... Football, apparently. You get that, that. That's the money you get for, for winning that game, effectively. Yeah. And if you if if you're getting relegated from there, you could argue it's even worse because those teams who don't get promoted, all right, they're missing out on 140 million. But chances are they're going to keep the majority of their squad. But you look at the likes of Everton, they're not going to keep the majority of their squad. They're going to have to pay Premier League wages in the Championship. They're going to lose players who are, who have probably got release clauses. It's a, it's a massive effect, and then you know there's going to be um, staff within the club who are going to get laid off. Yeah. All kinds, all kinds of permutations. Um, we we saw that ourselves, Pete. We've had two relegations under Mike Ashley, and we've seen the consequences. I mean, Mike Ashley bankrolled us to a degree, didn't he? And you know, he he did keep us keep us afloat. But some owners, either one, aren't capable of doing that, or two, mm-hmm. quite simply, are not willing to do it. And yeah. You know, they, they could just turn the back on them and just say, "Listen, I'm sorry, can't do any more." That's that, and it's 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 bad, especially when it's over. You know, a refereeing decision that was completely wrong. It's it's really it's not good. Really People's livelihoods get affected, especially. Yeah. But you know, well, it's not post COVID, but effectively it is now at the moment. It's post COVID, so um, in the government size anyway. So it's kind of like. You know, people need jobs. People need money. We're in a difficult yeah. situation. You think yeah, of yeah. The, the energy prices going up. You think of the petrol prices. I've seen a petrol price of something like 170, 178 the other day. Like, I've never, I don't think that's ever happened. I think the record was 150 at one point. It's gone way above that now. Yeah. Um, about how much money people are forking out. People need jobs. People need money. Um, you're effectively could potentially losing your job over a decision which... Um, a referee doesn't have to justify and, and Colin Wilson says here a post-match interview needs to be the way forward for referees mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I I agree 110% yeah. um, it, why it didn't you go to the screen why didn't why didn't you oh, what, how did you come to the decision that you came to I didn't see it why didn't you go to the screen look at it what what were you advised of yeah. need to be players need to uh, sorry referees need to be held accountable definitely and, and it was Eddie Howe and boom, yeah. that that, yeah. that felt the force of that of that yeah. goal that never was been a part of that day. Um, but look at Eddie Howe. I mean, how many people even before we signed Eddie Howe? How many people? Oh uh, yeah, he's done all right with Bournemouth. We got them relegated. That might that might have ruined his career, might not it? Yeah. I mean, obviously he's been given the opportunity here at Newcastle, and he's took it with both hands. But in terms of the big bigger jobs, as in at the time, you know, um, when I don't know a top top eight club. Uh, when when their managerial vacancy became available, that affects him because but managers would know. Uh, sorry, clubs would no longer consider him because they go, "Oh, we got Bournemouth relegated," because that's what's on his CV. Yeah, Definitely. not good, Pete. Not good. No. Just put there's a legal framework for competition, um, or oh, there must be a legal framework for competition that all must sign up for. I yeah. think that's a great idea, um, yeah. and yeah, I think yeah, definitely. We've got an interesting one here from John Spence, and this hasn't really been spoken about, although tell a lie, Pete, 
because I haven't watched the post-match, I must admit, um, you know, I, I will watch that this evening because I do love the post-match reactions on uh, on loaders because they are fantastic. And if you haven't watched them yet, make sure you do. Honestly, they're really, really good. Um, Don Spencer asks, when ASM came on, he was useless. His attitude is terrible. So what, what are your thoughts to that, Pete? Oh, John, John, John. I saw this and this is why I started because I thought... Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting talking point, and you're not the only one to say it. So there were um, there were a number of people after the game saying that his attitude was poor and blah, 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 blah. Um, I can see where you're coming from with regards to he wasn't tracking back. Um, he, he was fresh on the game, fresh on, you know, he had a number of minutes to get on and really affect the game. Did he work as hard as he could? No. Um I, it makes seem like I'm trying to protect ASM a little bit, and maybe I am. But the, guy, <laughs> the guy's barely kicked a board in what three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's not going to be like we watched that. Like, you watched him in that game against Everton at St James's Park, where he was lightning, lightning quick. Oh, he was bang on form. You know, really, really strong performance. He was a he, he played he played in a similar vein against Villa a few days later, but. When you have two or three weeks off, where you're not training at all, where you're barely kicking a ball, you then get a game back where you play 20, 30 minutes, but then you, you're ill, uh, and then you come back again. You need a few games to get yourself up and running. Um, and I believe that was the reason for him not being as effective. He looked he looked off the pace slightly. He did. You know, normally his trickery and his speed is really kind of a, um, a kind of a, a main a main point of his game that people can't handle that. But he just kind of looked like he was not fully in control of the ball. So I don't know wh whether the illness is taken out of him, whether the lack of training's affected him because he hasn't really trained. Let's face it, like even when even when the boys stayed down from, from after the Southampton game. Um, Alan St. Maxwell apparently only came came down to London on the Saturday, so he hadn't trained with the lads. He came down with Trippier, so he's barely kicked a ball. He's not trained, but yeah, he comes on and plays however long he played at the Chelsea game. I just think we we need to give him a little bit of time. Um, yeah. You know, Alan St. Maximum's the kind of guy that he will get up to speed when he's played a, a couple of games, two or three games. Um, do I think he'll start on Thursday? I don't think he will. Um, I think he'll have had a week's training, uh, or a good at least a good three or four days training before the Everton game, um, and he just needs time to get back to fitness. I mean, the calf injury is a calf injury. They're such so, such annoying injuries. He just needs time. So I, I wouldn't jump on him just yet um, with regards to his performances. Look, he he'll be a match winner between now and end the end of the season in games. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. Players do need time. Fitness and injuries do have an impact on players. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, I noticed Pete, well, he obviously, as we all do when St. Maximum comes on, if he's not starting, we all keep our eyes firmly on St. Maximum. And I agree, when he first came on, he didn't quite look at it. You know, the way sometimes he picks up the ball and he'll make a little dart and move and he's off. He didn't quite have that uh, on the weekend. But again, he's going to be rusty, isn't he? Um, but I hate him coming on. I hated being a sub. Like even when I've been injured, if I've been injured for a period of time, I had to start. I used to say to the, to my managers over the years, "You've got to play me from the start. I need time to build up and get into a game. I cannot come off the bench 
and get into a game. It takes me 15, 20 minutes. And if I've only got 15 minutes to impress, I'm probably just getting up to speed at 90 minutes. So I'd need a good few minutes of injury time for me to be able to try and kick in and really try and progress into the game. Some players are like that. Wayne Rooney was a great example. He was never, ever good coming off the bench. He never performed. He had to play and he had to play a number of games in a row. Mm. Alison Maxman is exactly the same. Like he, he won't moan about it. He was on the bench. He has been a couple of times this season. Hasn't moaned about it. He'll come on and try and make an impact. But there are certain players that are made for coming off the bench and impacting games. There are players that are not. And Alice at Maximum is not the type of player to be coming off the bench. And that's why I think he'll start on Thursday. I think playing him yesterday was a chance to just give him some minutes, get his him in. Up, just yeah. ease him into the game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you've got to remember as well, I don't think he's going to be running around like a headless chicken because... Part of it is a mental thing. He's had a calf injury that's put him out for three weeks or, or at least a couple of weeks. Um, calf injuries are, 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 and really niggly, horrible injuries that, that, that take time to heal um, and can quite easily go again. So I think there'll be part of him that will be thinking, let me just get through this game. Let, let me run around when I get the ball at my feet. Um, but let me just get through this game. Make, make sure I don't pick up another injury. And then he has a few week, few days of training ready for the game at Everton, where mentally he'll probably forget about his injury and he'll just be able to play. There, yeah, there's a mental issue with that. So from players, there, there is there is that. And like I said, I've never played professional, played semi-pro, but same rules apply. It's a mental thing. Injuries, yeah. fitness, performance. Certain players are very different towards others. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. Um, that leads me on to another question I've got, but I'll do that at the end and you'll know why. I'm very, very glad you started this, Pete, because I was always going to bring it up from John Justice Allen. Ah! <laughs> but it... <laughs> yeah, we when we were talking about the height, it's funny that. Yeah, look, uh, I always get it in the neck from, from, from the white because I'm just like, yeah, get out of it. <laughs> He's taller than I'm, that, Kenny. Yeah. I've I've met Pete loads yeah, of times now. He's saying. taller than that. With, than that. Um, no chance. Five foot three, but five I'm five, five eleven. Yeah, it's, it's, I reckon you're about the same height as me. Yeah, Pete, yeah. I, think, I, I think we're we're about. Tell there. your wife so, that. Tell your wife that. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm gonna after tell this her. show. Yeah, tell her. Nothing we're gonna do. We're gonna tell her. Hold on a second. Chris is five eleven. We're the same height. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Do you know what we'll have to do, Pete, when I see you on Thursday? We'll have to get a picture of each other next to each other and you can send yeah. it and go, there. There, there you go. go. Proof. Yeah. Proof, yeah. Um, Vince Smith says, I was furious about the press conference asking Eddie Howe, <coughs> excuse me, what he feels about what happened in Saudi Arabia shambles. You could see Eddie was upset about the results and then to ask him that was stupid. Do you know what? I, uh, Pete, I don't know if you watched it, by the sounds of it, you probably did. I found the interview with uh, Thomas Tuchel by is it was that Jeff Shreves? I think it was. I I found that very uncomfortable, and I, I thought to myself, "Now come on, you've asked you've asked all the questions you can ask, and you could clearly see Thomas Tuchel has said it numerous times, as has Eddie Howe. I'm a football manager. I'm here to talk about football. I don't want to start getting involved in all the politics. And I really, I really do, I really do wonder why. Well, I, I don't wonder. I know why they do it. But it's like you know, we we've we've been through all this now, and it, ask the politicians, ask the Premier League, don't be asking football managers, you know, the ins and outs of you know countries and uh, politics and stuff like that. Let let's just talk about football, don't you agree, Pete? 
absolutely. Um, and I tweeted out about it um, earlier on today uh, because there was um, someone, I think, if I'm right, I think it was the Telegraph. So it was, um, let me just get his name, Jason Burt at the Telegraph, chief yeah. football correspondent. Um, and he tweeted out um, an article. Um, and I'll show you, I'll tell you exactly what the article says. It says, Eddie Howe's inability to condemn 81 executions in Saudi Arabia proves sports washing works. And I had to respond to that tweet because I just thought that is ridiculous that they've been able to make a story out of that. So I tweeted back, I tweeted, a quote tweeted him and I said, a football manager choosing to talk about dot, 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 football uh, is being condemned. Why? Oh, because the journalist didn't get to create his narrative on the words that Eddie Howard said. So he creates a negative one anyway. Embarrassing. Um, and I stick by that. There's been one or two that have tweeted, tweeted back saying blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that he, he didn't, he, why can't he talk about politics and whatever? But that's not his job. Really, he's really, not his job. First and foremost, you were absolutely spot on, Chris. It is not his job. His job is a football manager. His job is to manage Newcastle United. He is not a politician. And he's maintained this since his press conference when he was made manager of Newcastle. That he wasn't prepared to take topics or answer questions around anything other than football because he's a football manager and that's what he wants to maintain. Have I got an issue with journalists asking these sorts of questions? I actually haven't. It's part of their role. I know it. My brother's a journalist. You know, if you've been on the Footy Loan Transfer Show, he's a journalist himself. I know that they have to ask. Got to ask the question. Got to ask the question. But don't get funny or don't get arsy when you don't get the answers that that, that you don't, that you want. So you haven't got the answer that you wanted. So therefore you're going to write, a real negative story on Eddie Howe because he's refused to answer that question. He's maintained it. It's not like he's refused to answer the question for you, but he's answered it for someone else. He's yeah. maintaining that he wants to talk about football only. He's just come off a bitterly disappoint, a disappointing result in which he felt his team should have got something. And then he gets questions like that. No chance. No. Not that I, you know, fine, ask the question, but he doesn't have to answer it. No. Just like when journalists get questioned on, on social media, and a number of them have recently, about the fact that are they going to Qatar, a country that has their own sorts of human rights and, and links to ISIS and various other things, but they're going to going to Qatar and they don't want to answer that question when, when fans ask them that? Like, the fans have a right to ask that question, but they get funny when they get asked that question, but yet feel like they can get funny with managers when they don't get to respond as well. Like, and then if a journalist came back, Pete, and said, yes, I am going to Qatar because that's my job and that's what I get paid to do and I'm there to report on the football, would they be wrong in, in giving that answer? No. No. And you know what? One of the journalists did. Uh, one of the journalists responded exactly that way in exactly the answer that you've just said over the course of the weekend. So I asked the question, if a journalist can say, well, it's my job, why am I gonna, why am I gonna cut my nose off to spark my face as a journalist and not go to the one of the biggest competitions the world has ever seen in the World Cup? Well, I answered that question in, well, 
if you can go to Qatar, a country that has its own human rights record and all the rest of it that's going on and justify you being able to do that, why can't we as Newcastle fans justify our position in that we as football fans are happy with our new owners and we are happy with the future that we have because they are ambitious and they want to make not just the club, not just the playing staff, but the city, the best it can be. Why are we having to justify that? And why are we made to feel bad about that when they can feel that they can justify going to the World Cup and supporting whoever they're supporting or have owners of their newspapers that are linked to negative things like being Russian oligarchs and all the rest of it? Why are they okay to justify their position and we're not allowed to justify ours? We are just fans, right? Eddie Howe is a football manager, no more, no less. If he doesn't want to answer those questions, he doesn't have to. Thomas Tuchel has batted back those questions for days on end now about uh, Roman Abramovich and actually got very animated about it. People are talking yeah. about after yesterday's interview that he's handled it so well and he's been great and blah, blah, blah. I don't think he has. I think that interview yesterday is the best he's handled it. But yeah. all the other interviews before that, he's been shocking. Yeah. But you know why? It's because they're telling, that they're, they want their narrative in that Thomas Tuchel has responded and said something negative about the situation with Russia and That's said something negative about Newcastle and Saudi Arabia. So they got what they wanted from him. So therefore, he's the best thing since sliced bread. Eddie Howe didn't give them anything to write about. He's the worst manager because he didn't want to talk about it. And he didn't want to justify these 81 executions, blah, 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 blah. It's a joke. It's all about creating narratives. If you play ball and you give them something to write a big story about and make these, these journalists look great, you're absolutely fine. And they'll talk about you in a great light. If you want to stay neutral and focus on the world of football, which is what we all love, which is what we're all focused on, you have be made to, to be a negative person and you'll be made out to be the, the worst thing. And it's not fair. And it's an absolute joke. Because it's one rule for one, one rule for another. And yeah. it's always been the case and it will continue to be the case. Because it's all of, it's not about the actual story itself anymore. It's about who's gonna who's gonna look after each other. It's kind of like you scratch you, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. You give me something that I can write a decent story about, I'll paint you in a good light to make you look good. That's basically what it is now. Mm -hmm. So it's not about genuineness. It's not about being a good manager anymore. It's not even about football. They've made that game yesterday not about football. That was actually for a 1-0 and for long parts of 0-0, actually probably the best game of the day. It was a really good football match. Yeah, it was. It was. And quality of football was very, very good. But they, the journalists made it about something that was not football yesterday. They're the ones that created that narrative about it not being football. Nobody else. So they're the only ones that have got themselves to blame. They would rather talk about politics than talk about football. If that's the case, go cover politics. Go on Sky News. Go on BBC 24 Hours. Go and watch that and go and report on that. We are football fans. We want to talk about football. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't mean that we don't agree. Doesn't mean that we agree with everything that's going on in the world. Far from it. But we are football fans and I'm not 
being made to feel bad about my football club, our football club, being in the position where we're now of a strength and we're going to go from strength to strength in the years to come. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. And on a, on a lighter note, Pete, and this is this is equally as important, Life Goal says, I'm slightly disappointed, as is Pete, that we can't get the seven points needed to wear our finest pantyhose. <laughs> See the way we've gone from that to that. I was just about to say, we've gone left field. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Because we, we had a bet, didn't we? We had a bet that if we were to pick seven points up from the next three, that was it. I think Jimmy said he was going to come on in a thong or something. I'm sure, he did. Yeah. But yeah, well, we, any viewers out there, don't be worried. That's now off the table. So that won't be happening. Uh, Life Goals also says. Uh, this feels like a key game to me. Six points ahead of Everton with two games in hand versus potentially 12 points with two in hand is a monumental difference if we stay up simple as that. And it, it's, it's a great point, isn't it? We're nine, um, points. nine points. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's 12. I think he's looking at the swing, the, the six-point swing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah it'll be nine right. points. Yeah, it'll be nine points, life goals. But you, you are right. You are right. I mean... It was funny. One of my uh, one of my Everton mates um, texted me the other day. I think I told you and was saying, "Oh, six points, uh, six points on the next Thursday. Oh, it's going to be a tough game and all that." And I was thinking, you might think it's a six pointer, but we don't think it's a six pointer because let's be honest, Pete. I think we've got a great chance to go and win the game. Uh, if we draw the game again, I take that all day. I move. I, I, we take the point and move on. I think we're more than capable of getting three points. But to suggest it's a six pointer and that we need to win it as much as them. I think I think is so way off the mark. Um, obviously, you know, if we do get the win, it kind of puts a final nail in uh, Everton's coffin. I really do believe that. But um, to suggest that we're we're, he was always talking like we were both in the bottom three, and I'm thinking, hang on, no. If you have a look at the league table, we're we're actually quite fine. And you know, we we look we look at this game as a, a another opportunity for us to get the three points, move up to 34, and be even more comfortable than what we are now. Um, but I certainly aren't, I, I'm not looking at this event game thinking, oh my God, we've got to win. We've got to win. I think we just go out there and play our game. Yeah. I, I think we, we play the way we play. They they struggle to, to, to deal with that. The one thing that Everton lack, apart from maybe Damari Gray, is, is natural pace. Yeah, they, they lack natural pace in the team. That's the one thing that we don't lack. We, we, in areas, we've got good pace. Joe Linton, uh, Joe Willett. Ryan Fraser, Alan St. Maximin, uh, Jacob Murphy, all got lightning pace yeah. on the counter-attack and not just on the counter-attack, from a pressing point of view. If we play that pressing game and we keep them tight, we know that their defensive, that their, their defence are not good on the ball. We know that they're not, so we can nick the ball. Their midfield isn't great on the ball either. Decore was, was shocking yesterday, shocking uh, in that midfield. Their midfield is all over the place. Donny van der Beek started again. Anonymous. You know, we, we can really cause them some problems. Uh, and just like we did at St. James's Park. You know, I, I think we, we go on to 34 points. I don't think Everton get to 34 points by the end of the season. You know, I, I really don't. I think Everton might get to what? I think my, Everton will be lucky between now and the end of the season you know, if they don't beat us, I think between now and then the season, Everton will be lucky to get on to 32 points. Mm. I, I really do. So yeah. I think even, even if we get a point tomorrow, that's they've got to get another nine points. That's potentially another three wins. 
Um, I, I think they'll be lucky to get that. I'm not saying they're not going to win again the rest of the season, but I think they'll be lucky to get three wins. And that's even to get into touching distance with us. That's yeah. without us getting another point between now and, and the end of the season. Which that's I it, Pete. That's it. it it's, it's, it's not just what they're doing, but it's what other teams around them are doing. So like you say, you know, they, they'd have to pick up what, is it 10 points? I think they're on 22. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. They'd have to pick up 10 points and then that would mean us not picking up any points. Yeah. And for them to pick up 10 points, I reckon you're probably talking, what, maybe six, seven, eight games? And we'd have to pick up none yeah. um, in those six, seven, eight, nine games. And it, that just won't happen. Um, and this is the problem. They Everton now, if they do, especially if they don't beat us, they're going to have to rely on teams around them. They're going to have to hope that the likes of Burnley, Watford and Leeds all struggle equally as much as them. That's the only that's the only way I can see them getting yeah. out of it. Even uh, Brentford. Brentford had a, a good result, didn't they? So Brentford you know. are a point behind us. Yeah. Brentford, Brentford are not in that Brentford are in a situation like us. They're not in a relegation battle. Um the, 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 Brentford will still lose games, but what they've got, they've got that that those points in the bank. Big cushion so, at the start of the season. Eight yeah. points zero though. Uh, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, yeah. their early point in the season, like you just said, is is done enough for them to be in a yeah. comfortable position. You've got Leeds that have won; they're on twenty six points. So again, they've got a gap, you know, of four points on them. So, you know, effectively, you know, those results at the weekend, and potentially if we beat Everton, it's kind of made it a sort of a three horse race: Everton, Watford, Burnley. It's made it into three because for me. You know, Norwich are down. Uh, Norwich are done. Uh, I think everyone was comfortable with that idea anyway. But I think Norwich mm-hmm. are done. But I think it, it. You know, it's a three-horse race for for two positions: Burnley, Watford, Everton. And Everton's running makes it incredibly difficult for them. Burnley are always capable of getting a win, and that's and possibly and possibly leads. Possibly well, yeah. leads if, possibly if they keep dropping. Yeah. Um. It, I mean, they got a big win that took them to twenty-six points. That but, felt huge, that didn't it? Because they yeah. they equalised Norwich and then Leeds scored two minutes later, just at the death. And it's moments like that where you go, "Is that going to turn their season? Mm. Is that is that win going to turn their season?" Could well. And Watford have proven, like yesterday, that they they can nick a win. So that so the teams around them have proven recently that they can nick a win. The only one that haven't proven it is Everton. Yeah. So we need to ensure that that continues on Thursday. And, yeah. you know, our boys will be hurting. I think we may be mentally going to the Everton game slightly differently if we get a point at Chelsea. I think the, the, our boys will be hurting that they lost the game the way the way in which they did. And I think, you know, some of the some of the old guards, some of the, the originals will come back. I think Joe Linton will come back. I think Joe Willock will come back. John Joe Shelby. Ryan, Ryan Fraser will come back in the team. He needed a rest. He's worked his socks off. Bless him. Alan Set Maximum's coming back. We've got players to change around that, that should be coming back fresh. On Thursday yeah. and ready yeah. to put those those hard yards in. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to read out a couple of comments. Um, mm-hmm. These are ones that we've started, people. I'll just just read the comments out and just get you get your uh, quick feelings on them because I'm conscious of time. But we've got here uh, Terraces. I think I've pronounced that right. Terraces S. I partly blame our players. I know it sounds silly for not vigorously protesting any decision they feel was not given to them. So I think. Tennessee's is either referring to the Dan Byrne situation, which I don't think he is because I think the players did kick off over that, including Dan Byrne. I think it was more the Shalaba one. Do you, do you think, Pete, do you think the players could have done a little bit more? You know, what's going on? You need to review that. Do you think that enough pressure was put on? 
Uh, I agree with, with, with Terracis. I think both. I think I think both of them. We, we could have done more. We we could have done more. I think the reactions. I think if you look at the big teams, the big six, the reactions of players emphasizes the decision. I think if you get if you get someone like um, and someone talked about it, um, I can't remember where I heard it. If you get Martin Dubravka running the length of the pitch, on, yeah, running down, going mad in front of the uh, the ref, going, "Come on, like what's that?" And you get Dan Byrne running down for the penalty, or you get Jamal Lascelles right in the referee's face saying he's got to be off. It's almost they half did it and then kind of stopped. We yeah. need to be shit houses. We're shit houses on the pitch now. Where we're, 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 we're giving away professional fouls in, in positions where we're not going to get hurt. We're, we're becoming smart, stuff like that on, on the pitch in game. We need to be smarter in situations like that. We need to be getting around the ref, hounding them. Man United were, were well known for it and they got a lot of players sent off and got a lot of decisions because of that fear factor. We need to bring that in. I think John Joe Shelby would have been right in, in the mix there. You know, I, th- I think Joe Linton would have been right in the mix there if they were playing on the pitch because mm. they're those type of players. They get right in there with the ref. They're demanding things. We need to do a little bit more of that. We need to show yeah. our emphasis. And I think if we'd have done that a little bit more, if if when when Jacob Murphy went to ground, what I wanted, what I would have wanted him to see is rather than stand there with his arms out, I want him running up to the ref. That's a penalty. Have a look at that. He's grabbed mm. me. He's pulled me to the ground. He needs to be in there in his face, telling him that he's made a, he's made the wrong decision. And the, the VAR wrong. people see that as well, don't they? The yeah. VAR people see that and think bloody hell. All the players think it's a pen as well. I'm going you to know, have to. You know who's really good at that? Bruno Fernandez at Man United. He's very very good at that. And what he does, he stands by the referee with decisions like that, constantly um, like and, that. Yeah, and he's in his ear. And what what should have happened is either Jacob Murphy or someone else should have been saying, whilst the referee's talking, and saying, well, you gave a corner, he didn't touch the ball. Get VAR to have a look at the fact that he didn't touch the ball, so therefore it's a penalty. If he's in his ear, if he's in the referee's ear saying that, the referee's then thinking, oh, maybe I've made a mistake here. Yeah, VAR, just have a quick look at that. Is that the case? If you're not in their ear, they're not going to do it because... No, there's no pressure. Yeah, there's no pressure. Pressure needs to be applied in order for those decisions to go our way. Simple. Absolutely. And I thought this one was interesting from BT. He says, Dan Byrne on the elbow from Kai Havertz. I thought it was a sending off. I uh, I thought it was a sending off. I can guarantee that if that was the other way around, I wouldn't be on the pitch. And he's right. 100%. He is right. 110%. The referee only has to look at his head and go, bloody hell. He has an half. He has an half. And you, you saw the reaction of the players as well. You saw the reaction of the players and you saw the reaction of Dan Byrne. Yeah. The referee's got to be looking at that and thinking, hang on, that doesn't look very... Uh, I mean, you know yourself, Pete, um, especially being a striker. When when you jump for the ball, you've got to put your arms up. Everyone gets that. But there's a difference between taking a knock in the head and like having a proper knock on the side of your head. Yeah. And that, that was a nasty one. That was a nasty one. And um, I do, I do feel like I have it's got away with it. Whether or not he meant it, no one will ever know. Um, but certainly, he's. Um, it feels like he's left one on him a little bit there. Certainly, certainly does anyway. Yeah. Um, interesting one from Daryl McKay. When will all the Joes be returning? Pete, are we predicting a Joe reunion on Thursday? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, whether it's a complete Joe reunion, 
is another question because Bruno Gomerius has had another good game again. And I, I yeah. have been one that's yeah. been kind of banging the drum that I've, I've said for a while now that when Bruno Gomerius gets into the team and starts a couple of games, I think it's going to be very difficult to dislodge him. Um, so it's going to be an interesting talking point in terms of who comes out the team out of the three Joes to supplement Bruno Gomerius. It's going to be an interesting decision. And you've got on top of that, that Sean Longstaff was very, very good. He was very good at the weekend. So he'll be he'll be, he'll be seeing it as a disappointment that he maybe doesn't get the run out. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, I think we need Joe Willick for his high press. Um, I think we need Joe Linton just for his physicality. <laughs> this is the problem, isn't it? And then you, you think, well, we we need we need John Joe as well because John Joe, I mean, John Joe's calmness on the ball. I mean, yeah, that's the yeah. one, that's the one area where you think you've got Bruno Gomerius that can um, that can give you that. Uh, he can give you that calmness, uh, sort of uh, on the ball, and he can control and dictate the play a little bit like John Joe Shelby. I see Bruno Gomerius as uh, long term in in that position. I really do. But look, John Joe Shelby's going to be knocking at the door, banging, banging the door down, demanding to start on Thursday. He's going to want to go and and do over Everton and get the double over them, in my yeah. opinion. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one transpires. But yeah, I think there might be some more changes again. I think um, Mankilio might start again. I think he might come back into the team now, uh, target, um, uh, yeah, I think if the two Joes are fit, Joe Linton and Joe Willock, I think we go back to a back four route and we go back to a midfield three yeah. and we go again. Well, do you know what? That kind of leads me nicely on to me, well, my last question. So I'll, I'll ask you that in a moment. I'm just checking. Um, I'll just flash some comments up here. So Tony Finley said before I'd take Tielemans on uh, from Leicester. I, 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 what, sorry? Last year of his contract in yeah, June. Yeah. Another one. Yeah, another one who you could possibly tempt away. Um, I think it'd be an interesting one. Chris McCarthy, I said I was going to mention this one. Even lads, do you think we would go and get a proper name striker in the summer? And who would you both choose realistically, not Mbappe or Haaland? Because that isn't happening yet. Harry Kane for me. You can't say Mbappe, Haaland, and then, and then say um, Harry Kane's more realistic because... Harry Kane's what in there. What, talking to Harry Kane, Pete. Talking to Harry Kane, and it just made me laugh. And I, you may not have seen this, but did you see the? I don't know how, when it was, but did I, I noticed a video at the weekend, and it was uh, Michael Richards talking about. I think it was Benzema, and he was saying that for him, Benzema is now possibly up there with the likes of Harry Kane, and like you could see on return round and go, really. Like he was talking, like he was talking, like Benzema was like you know the the level below, and it was just like you could see it. Thierry Henry was just like, "Whoa, really?" Yeah, Thierry Henry's eyes just went like that. I did see that, and it's the classic, it's the classic pundit that doesn't watch anything other than than um, than English football, Premier League, or the odd Champions League game. Because um, if you've watched Benzema. Um, Maybe. He he is a striker. He's a different animal. Now we have to remember, he had probably a six-year period where he was still smashing in goals for fun, but he was playing second and even third fiddle to Ronaldo and Bale uh, during their great periods of goal scoring and attacking threat. He was the foil. Even Ronaldo says it now. 
that the, the key to him scoring as many goals and being as successful as a player as he was at Real Madrid is because of the work that Benzema did around him to make it possible for Ronaldo to score the goals. Ronaldo says that himself. Benzema sacrificed his own game for the best part of six years, maybe even longer, in order to get Ronaldo the best he could possibly be, which eventually won the whole team a shed load of trophies. Right, Benzema is a world a world-class superstar striker. Benzema's up there. We, we Lord Lewandowski is a great striker. For me, Benzema's up there, and I think he's probably better as an all-round striker. And, and he's doing it in a more difficult league, in my opinion. Bayern Munich are a great side, but there's not, no real competition year, year in, year out. Um, he does it in the Champions League, which is great. Um but for me, Benzema is an, an elite striker and has been for many and many a year. And what you're seeing now from Benzema is that you're seeing the rise of a fantastic striker. Now he's becoming the main man at the club and the captain. Now that Ronaldo and Bale are out the team or left the club, uh, he's tremendous. And he proved it again midweek. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his. Really, really big fan. Um I'm just flashing up some comments here because I'm conscious we probably won't get to them. So I'm just just flashing them up so we get there. Oh, but this one made me laugh. The one before, um, it was a great question. And I, um, I forgot oh, about God. that. Um, it, was, it was a case of uh, someone had mentioned that we talked about this one here. Lee Emington, obviously, of course. Uh, it mentioned Big Dan Burner for England. But what about Matty Target? 100%. Who, who would take Luke Shaw... Starting for England right now uh, as a Newcastle fan ahead of ahead of Matty Target. Luke Shaw can't even get in the Man United team, and they're not even playing well at the moment. Matty Target is is playing fantastically well. Had another great game yesterday. Perfect yeah. for England at twenty six yeah. years old. Matty Target has been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and I read I read on top of that that apparently. Southgate's been watching Matty Target for quite a while, even since he's been at, at Villa as a potential left back to come into the England fold. But because of other players' performances, he's just not found a way in now. With a number of injuries that we've got, and another a number of players that are not performing, I think this England team is going to be interesting. Uh, I think, and I, I, I would, you know what? And I don't know what your thoughts about this, Chris. I think I would be disappointed for these friendlies coming up if either one of Dan Byrne, Matty Target and Joe Willett were not considered for this England team. In, in this next round of internationals, I think for the first time in a long time, I think we've got three English players that are genuinely within a chance to not necessarily start the games, but certainly be considered as part of the squad because of the way that they're playing. As an England manager, you, you, you should be selecting players on form. For me, he would be a perfect opportunity. It would be a perfect opportunity to bring just even one of them in. What are your thoughts on it? No, I, I agree with you, mate. I agree. I think, I think, do you know what's even more impressive about Matty Target's performances for me? In some of these games that we're talking about, he's played as a left back with Alan St. Maximum in front of him. No protection whatsoever, really. And he hasn't looked out of place once. He, I can't look back over any of the games Matty Target's played and gone, he wasn't great there, or he could have done better there, or that was a bit disappointing. 
I, I think he's been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, <clears throat> apparently, and I hope to God it's true, we've seen the news reports saying that he's available for 15 million. Tell you what, get the deal done. Get it done. Because I, I, some people were saying, oh, should we be looking bigger and better? For me, no. I I I think Matty Target has been fantastic. Mm. And I think um if we have Matty Target as our left back for the next three, four, five seasons, I think, you know, he's at a good age as well, isn't he, Pete? Is he what, twenty-six? Twenty-six. Twenty-six. And you know, just to add to that, Matty Target is not only proven just in the time that he's been at Newcastle that he can play in a back four, but also as a wing back within a three, a three, four, however three, three, four, three. Uh, type formation. Um, he, he's proven he can play. And you know what? England played both of those setups. England played both of those formations. So he, he's proven not only that he's a good player, that he's England worthy, but he's proven in the two in the two formations that England set up with that he can play in those formations. He proved it yesterday as a left wing back, how efficient he can be defensively and in attack. He's got the pace and the ability to get up and down. Defensively, he's very strong. He's good in the air. He's controlled on the ball. He's he's proven it. Dan Byrne has proven he can play in a three, a back three. He can play in a back two. And he can play very well. He's good on the ball, on the ground, in the air. He's dominant. He's play, He's shown he can play up against the likes of uh, Kai Havertz. Apart from one mistake, um, he was he was the better player for, for, yeah. for 88 minutes. Easily, comfortably, the better player out of the two. Completely had him out of the game. And Kai Havertz is, is a shoe in it in Germany as a starter. He, he's, he's one of their top players. So, you know, and then you've got Joe Willock, who's who's maybe not ready yet to start games, but I think at 22 years old, he should be being released into that fold for, one, for, for more than one reason, to give him confidence that he's capable of playing at that level. And when you when you go to England and you're playing with all those talented players, you come back a, a better player. You come back elevated to think, wow, like I'm they think I'm capable of this level. And what does that do? It improves your performances for England uh, for, for Newcastle, for your club. For your club. Just yeah. like it did for Calvin Phillips, yeah. just like it did for Declan Rice. Okay, it improves your performances knowing that you can hang with those type of players. I think it's the perfect time to give give Joe Willock a run out in that midfield, coming off the bench, playing a few minutes here and there, and just easing him into the team. Because let's face it, he's the future. Jordan Henson's 33, 34 years old. He's coming towards the end of his career. We need to look beyond that. Who better? in my opinion, than the likes of Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips, Jude Bellingham, Joe Willock. There may be one or two others in there, but there's a pool of players there that I think Joe Willock, at the moment, they can play in and around. And actually, Calvin Phillips isn't playing at the moment because he's injured. So then you've got Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, the third one, Joe Willock. Why not? Why not? Why not? I agree. So I'm going to ask you two final questions, Pete. Um, the last one I've got saved here, so I will wait. But it kind of links into what Tony's saying, and it links back to the question I asked you before, actually. I say to you, right, um, we want to go out, and the marquee signing is going to be a striker. I think I've asked you this before. I've got a feeling I know you're going to say, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Who is your number one striker target in the summer? Um, well, that boy's up there. If we can get him, it costs a yeah. little bit of money. I say a little bit, it costs a lot of money. But if we could get someone like him, boy, it'd be a hell of a player. 
he he would just absolutely um, tear it apart in English football and at Newcastle. He is perfect for the way we play football. Um, however, I think equally, um, the boy Darwin Nunes, uh, you know, uh, Mark Douglas, if you've not seen the article that he put out yesterday, I was distraught at the result yesterday. And then I seen that article from, from Mark Douglas that basically says that, um, uh, ba- that you know, Newcastle are, are, are looking at Darwin Nunes and that there could be a, a, a chance that a, a deal gets done in the summer. Um providing that obviously the right fee's been made and whatever, but he's certainly been added to the list of players that they're seriously looking at for the summer window. And that just made me feel better. I thought, you know what, we're going in the right direction. We're looking at top, top quality players. If they're if we're going to be linked with players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, no thank you. I don't, I'm sorry. He might play on, he might play on Thursday. He might even score on Thursday. I do not rate Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I don't rate him. I really don't. Same. Same. I don't, I don't think he's a great striker at all. I think he's a very much a moment striker. He has two or three games where he scores goals, and then he has six, seven, or eight games where he does nothing. And at the moment, he's proving like he's proving at the moment he's doing nothing. He didn't play on Sunday; he was ill. He's looking like he's going to be back for Thursday, but the games before that, Tottenham, for example, he got pulled off at eighty-one minutes because he was shocking. Um, uh, players like that, no, thank you, uh, Jonathan David. Jordy Team Flash has been put in 100% from Lille. Fantastic player, striker. Darwin Nunes for me. Um, Luka Jovic hanging around at, at Real Madrid. 24 years old, career's kind of passing him by because Real Madrid uh, are clearly have got Benzema, who's irreplaceable at the moment, and rightly so. So, you know, he's going to need a new challenge. So you, you've got a small pool of players there that you could go for. Some of them are maybe going to cost more than others. Darwin Nunes is probably going to cost more than Luka Jovic because of the amount of football he plays. Um, Luka Jovic is a, is, is a fringe player. Um, Jonathan David will cost the best part of 30, 30 million or so. Uh, he won't be cheap. Um, who's the other one? Uh, who was the other one that we said? Um, Victor Osman. Victor, yeah, big money, big money. And then life goals is just put on there. Um, Mitrovic, no chance, no chance. He's not a Premier League player. He might prove it next season, and I hold my hands up. But I, you know what, Chris? What are your thoughts on Mitrovic? What are your and who, who do you think who do you think is your pool of strikers to go for in the summer? To be honest, Pete, your pool, your pool is my pool. Um, if we got any of those players, <clears throat> I'd be absolutely delighted. <clears throat> There's probably hashtag. Your pool is my pool. Your pool is my pool. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the, any of those players that you've mentioned, yeah, I totally agree on Carver Lewin. I haven't liked Carver Lewin for a while. Me and a few of my mates actually, who uh, you know, a lot of them are Reds to be fair, but they say you know he's overrated. I've even spoken to Blues, who uh, you know have said if we got offered 60, 70 million, I'd sell him. And they watch him week in, week out. He's not worth 60, 70 million. And I think Newcastle, well, I hope Newcastle know that. Um, you know, if an opportunity came up to buy him for 25, 30 million, you'd probably go, okay. But not for the prices being quoted. And I, I still don't think he he would be that focal point that we need, that press. I just I just don't think he would. In terms of Mitrovic, um, do you know what? I, I give I give Mitro a little bit of leniency. I think I think you're right in that I do have my doubts whether he is a Premier League striker, but then on the other hand, I do I do I do think to myself, you know, <clears throat> he got throws out under Rafa. 
Um, he's probably developed a lot over the past two or three seasons, and he's proven in the championship that he is at that level. He's he's at he's a better level than the championship, is what I'm saying. Whether that's good enough for the Premier League, I don't know. Um, he may go and prove us all wrong and absolutely smash it. But I also am very aware that, like, um, you know, he was playing in a pretty poor Fulham side when he was in the Premier League. He didn't get much of a chance with us. And I did often think to myself, and I think I said this to you before, Pete, I feel a bit sorry for him in a way because I think to myself, you know, he's got the raw attributes. And I do I do wonder, imagine if he played at, like, a Chelsea and he was, like, the main guy. Would he do a worse job than Lukaku now? Yeah, it's a fair point. If if he's got quality players around him, I mean, look what he does for um, look what he does for Serbia. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting how much he plays. He's, for he's the talisman. Yeah, Vlahovic is going to come come good soon. He's tearing. Oh it in. God, yeah, 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 yeah. God, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it it, it could well be. It, it it could well be the case. Um. It's, but yeah, he's it, still got it all to prove. And, and look, Fulham yes. are not going to, Fulham are, are clearly coming back up to the Premier League. They're not going to sell him. They, they're going to, you know, um, they're going to build their team around him. You know, yeah. they, they just are. Um, however, yeah. I can't believe I forgot, where is it, about this guy that was being linked over the last couple of days. Would you take him? Yes. Yes. Um... Year left you know on his contract to come the summer. Do you know my only concern around him is that I don't think he's a number nine. He, his best position for me is on the left, but automatically, I automatically we all know who plays on the left. Yeah. Um, so I do think, hmm, and I do worry about his attitude. And I think we spoke about this, Pete, saying, you know, he's come from, he'll be coming from Man United. Let's be honest, he will see it as a step down, a step down. He will Mm. see it as that if he joins us. And I do wonder if he's got that hunger, that drive, that desire where, you know, the likes, like you were talking then about, um, you know, Nunes from Benfica. He he will be chomping at the bit to join us. And I, I just wonder whether there's players out there who are better fitted to us as a club personality wise. Do you know what I mean? I just think... Is it better to kind of take an opportunity, uh, take a chance on somebody who doesn't play in the league, who has got it all to prove, has got his whole career ahead of him? Well, I know Marcus Rashford's only a young lad. I'm not, I'm not saying you know he's getting on or anything, but I do think you know he's been on that those 150, 200 grand a week wages. Has he lost the appetite? Has he lost the drive? Is he that bothered? Will he, will he, will he be that keen to be on this journey? I just, I don't know, I don't know. I just asked. Look, I'm, I, a lot. Uh, the vast majority, if not you know, nearly all of that, I agree with um, with you, Chris. The thing that I'm going to throw in is sort of like a devil's advocate is that you know you could argue that since Marcus Rashford, I was talking to my, talking to my brother about this yesterday actually, and and, and we were saying um, that Marcus Rashford, since he came through at Man United under uh, Louis Van Gaal, mm. has never actually been coached. Properly, no, because no. No, yeah. Man United, yes, they're a big club and he's had big moments, he's won trophies. But has he actually been coached how to play a position? Hmm. And you then look at someone like Eddie Howe bringing him under his wing, saying, Right, you're a big part of our future, you're, you're a player that we're going to build a team around. 
Yeah. Has he actually been coached to play number nine? Has he been told what to do, or has he just been told play number nine, play off the last man, a bit like Sunday League football, just go play there, uh, use your pace in and behind, or is that point? Great point. How to how to move? What what runs to make? What positions to take up? What do you do? On the ball, what do you do off the ball? What do you do in certain situations? Has he actually been coached that way? Because if you look at Man United, let's be honest, in all the managers that have gone by, it doesn't look like there's a lot of coaching going on. Certainly from yeah. Ralph Rangnick, they're all over the place. Only uh, Gunnar Solskjaer, you could argue the same. Um, they were very defensive under Jose Mourinho. Um, so they weren't really very attacking from that point of view. Um, you know, you, And you look at those managers gone by, you think to yourself... If he got the time and the coaching over the next couple of years to really kind of develop his game, could he then use his pace and his attributes? Because he's got a good shot on him. He's got rapid pace. If he used that and was really smart in that way of playing, could he become a player? I mean, there's question marks there. But, you know, under a tactical manager that plays a certain way, and he would, be able, he would be able to play the, the Eddie Howe way, because he'd be able to play high press from the top. He's got pace to run in behind. He'd have to learn how to hold up the ball and play that game. But that's something that, that we can learn. He, he can play football a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, it would all depend on how much he, he would go for. Because even with, a, even with a year left on his contract, Man United are not going to let him go for, for nothing. Um, and I think it told you a lot, the fact that he played on Saturday, after all the links of him potentially leaving, he was straight in the starting lineup, whereas before, not really been considered. So, and it's an interesting one. It's, it's one interesting player, one. Because I think that that's the exact type player that Newcastle would look to sign in the summer. I think yeah. that, that's the type of striker they'd look to sign. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't yeah. be opposed to him, Pete. I wouldn't be opposed to him. If we signed Marcus Rashford in the summer, I'd probably be absolutely delighted because we all know what he's capable of and we all know what he can do. I yeah. think it's just, um, you know, and if you're talking about him in the same breath as the likes of Dominic Carvalho-Lewin, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute yeah. no-brainer. Oh. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But, yeah, like I say, I would, I would definitely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock him back, put it that way. But the last yeah. question I want to ask you, Pete, and we'll round up on this. Ashley Hannant asks, evening guys, great show as always. Thank you very much, Ashley. Guys, the way the team's performing, how many players would you realistically change? So the question I'm asking you is, what's the formation for Everton and what's the lineup? Oh, oh, oh God. Good question. Good it's question. Toughy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I would. Four at the back. Um, target. Burn, Shaw, um, Mankilio. Agreed. Uh, yeah, that's my back four. Yeah. Uh, midfield, Big Joe, Little Joe, Bruno Gomez as the sitter. Yeah. Um, I'd give Shelby a rest. Um, have him on the bench. Uh, Ryan Fraser, one side. Chris Woods mm -hmm. at the top. Chris Woods yeah. at the top. See, yeah. this is this is the thing, and I, I can't believe I'm even considering this. But this is the thing. Do I go with a workman like? Yeah, I, I was going to say that the way. Yeah. Murphy, or yeah. do I go with the, the the quality and the brilliance of Alan St. Maximin? I don't bear it in mind. Before. Bear it in mind, Pete, and this might this might make your decision. 
the workman like one does appeal to me. But then mm-hmm. on the other hand, I'm thinking Seamus Coleman's playing right back. Yeah. Yeah. And they're looking like they're going to play four at the back because John Joe Kenny uh, got sent off, didn't he, at the weekend? So he's, he's suspended. They're going to have to play that Mikalenko at left back. And yeah. he cannot defend. So yeah. then I'm thinking Ryan Fraser on the right, St. Maximin on the left. Yeah. Potentially. Personally, I'd go I'd I'd keep Fraser on the left. Would you? And, play, and if I was gonna play at ASM and I'm still not decided who I'm gonna play out of I don't think I could decide at who I'm gonna play, and it sounds weird in saying it out of uh, Murphy or ASM. Um Who's the, uh, the only because I can't think of it off the top of my head. Who's the next game after Everton? Tottenham. Tottenham away Tot- after the international break. Do we do we do we leave Maxi on the bench again? Get him a hundred and ten percent right and unleash him against Tottenham. And the problem is, is that he he he'll be pissed off if he starts on the bench because he knows he'll have then a two week break before he's back playing again. I think he'll want to play for the international break. I, yeah. I, and, and, I, and I believe that's why they've put him on the bench on Sunday. And that's why they brought him on. Yeah, I think that's what I think. They've saved him on. for Everton, haven't they? They've yeah. saved him for Everton. And it, don't get me wrong, I want to see him play. I want to see St. Maximum play at, at Goodison on Thursday night. I but, really, really do. We, um, we need but, that fear factor. We need that fear factor against Everton. Everton and look what he did the last game against them. Yeah. Look what he did against them. That, that, they'll that, see his, they'll see his name and they'll think, shit. So I'm going to go ASM. I'm going to go ASM. Are you playing him on the left or the right? Um, you know what? Changing my mind like the weather here, but I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to play him on the left. And the reason want to keep him happy, Pete. Want to keep him happy? Yeah. Not even that is because he terrorised him on the left hand side last yeah, time. Yeah, he did. He did. So I'm just thinking more of the same. And yeah, like yeah, you yeah. said, with, with Seamus Coleman, who, in my opinion, he's finished. Yeah, he's, he's got finished. no legs. He's done, uh, and in Seamus Coleman will be shitting it, knowing that he's going to be up against Alice at maximum. And if I was Eddie Howe, I'd be telling him just run at him, just commit him backwards, make him foul you, make him commit fouls in and around the box, make you like commit him in those type of positions. Um, and then you've still got the quality of delivery in Ryan Fraser on the right hand side because he can still put a ball in, and there's no harm in interchanging during the game. And no, swap it out. Swap it out. Giving, yeah. giving uh, Fraser a chance to run at him and keep them keep them guessing. So yeah, maybe, maybe um, uh, like Life Goal said, maybe ASM for an hour, uh, but would be worth a go. Um, yeah, with then a view to putting someone on like Murphy later on in the game, someone that's got that press that can keep that high press up later on in the game. Hopefully, we're winning by then, and then we can maybe see the game out. So yeah, let's go with that. ASM on the left, Fraser on the right to begin with, and then we'll see how it works. Look at those players out, Pete, from life goals. Mina, Delph, Kenny, Calvert-Lewin, and Davis. I mean, I, I, if, if I see Andre Gomez in that lineup, I'm going to be buzzing because Bruno Gomez will just have a field day against him. He's, he, he, I've seen quicker tortoises. Yeah. He, he, he will just, the game will pass him by. Joe Linton will just run, run a mock. He will run them off. I agree. I, I agree. Um, the only thing is with, with Calvert Lewin, apparently um, he was ill, which is why he missed the game. But uh, speaking to our guest, who's going to be on Wednesday at eight o'clock, um, tune in um, the um, Unholy Trinity 
podcast, Everton podcast. Can you join us on Loaded Mag at um, uh, at eight o'clock on Wednesday? He's Is it Mike again? Yeah, Mike. Mike's coming back. He's yeah. going to talk to us. Um, he is going to come back and he reckons Calvert Lewin will start Thursday. It was just a little bit about of illness and that he'll be back. But that, that, Yerry Mean is the big miss for them because defensively, although he makes a mistake now and again, he's actually probably their best defender. Um, he's probably their, their biggest, strongest defender. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Man, City game. Man City games has come up. But, um, yeah, still nil nil. Seven minutes but, to go, by the way. Uh, Join the two for life. I ain't happy about this. What is what are you not happy about? <laughs> oh. oh, okay. I've just seen it later on in the chat. Oh, high up, dropping Murphy. Yeah, look, it's harsh. I get it. I get it. It's harsh, but you know, in the <laughs> he, dropped, he played so well, and I bigged him up big time. But I'm just thinking, you know, you want the scare factor. Yeah, if, if we're playing against a Chelsea or probably even a Tottenham. You probably played Jacob Murphy as one of those guys that does a job for the team, but we've got an opportunity to go at Everton and really kind of put the sword to them early on yeah. in the game. You yeah. want Alan St. Maximum fit, firing after a few training sessions. As I said earlier, Alan St. Maximum is better when he starts a game. He plays better. He's able to build himself into the game and, and create problems. And I think, I do think that playing him would be the best move Um yeah, I think I think Chris has convinced me it might be the best move. I just want to I just want to see him as well. Every time you see Alan yeah. St. Maximin in that starting lineup, you're just buzzing, aren't you? And obviously with it being a Goodison, we saw what he did last time against Everton. I do oh. see everyone's point when they're saying about Fraser. Fraser's playing absolutely fantastic. Um but yeah, Jordy Tune for Life, last comment I'll throw up. Uh, ASM can't play. Everton will come hard in the first 20. We need workers at first. It's an interesting point. It is. Um, yeah. I, I just wonder whether Everton are going to bottle it. Because let's be honest, and I haven't spoken to loads of Blues, they were all telling me at the weekend, we've got to win against Wolves and Newcastle. That's what they were saying. They were, yeah. even, they were even going as far as to say, a draw against Wolves is no good. We've got to beat them. A draw against Wolves is no good. Yeah. And they've just been beaten by Wolves. They're going to go into that game, home crowd, expectancy levels through the roof because Everton fans will be saying, listen, you've got to win this game. I think I think the opposite there of uh, Geordie Team for Life. I think we're going to go at them in the first 20 minutes yeah. and whether or not they can contain it, I don't know. Yeah. Because if we score in them first 20 minutes, I think it could be a cricket score. I'll be yeah. honest. I think you're absolutely right. And then on top of that as well, is if they come out all guns blazing, you've got ASM to hit them on the counter. Yeah, and we just tear them apart. Yeah, and and I think, I, I actually honestly believe that if we start ASM, I think that's going to affect how much they attack us because they're going to be so worried that if that attack breaks down, because we're going to match them for work rate and working off the ball and, and that, that hard work and endeavour that, that we've been given over the last God knows how many weeks. We're going to match them for that. But if we win the ball in any of those positions, which we're good at, by the way, and we set ASM on, on the counter with the likes of Wood and Ryan Fraser, we proved that at, at, at Brentford. And Willock. If, if we counter with the likes of Willock, ASM, we can, we can create massive problems. And that in itself, just mentally, will stop them thinking about committing so many men forward because they're going to be so worried about get, getting getting back. So Seamus Coleman, for example, if he starts at right back, he's not going to make those marauding runs forward like he normally does. Because he's going to be worried that if he gets caught high up the pitch, ASM's going to have him. 
he's going to have him on toast. Um, so it, it does. It makes, makes the opposition think, knowing yeah, that Alisson Maximin's in the team. It makes them feel differently and think differently about their game, knowing that he's in there because they know what he's capable of. You know, they're going to be worried about him from from a defensive point of view. You see, most teams put three men around him. We did mention that before. Yeah, with the hands yeah. of the ref, he, he would have been right in there, right in there. But no, you're, you're absolutely right, Pete. I think uh, Thursday's game's going to be interesting. Um, and whatever team Eddie puts out, fully behind them, and I'll totally go with him. But yeah, I think um, I think Thursday's game will be interesting. And Jordy Team for Life says, "Well, well, <laughs> we'll see. I'll accept your apology on Friday." <laughs> I, 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 hey, Jordy Team for Life, if you're all right, mate, and we've got them three points, I'll happily take it. Main thing is we go there and we don't get beat. For me, even if we pick up a point, it's not good enough for Everton. It's not. Okay. It's it's fine for us. Another point on the board, um, and we go back to being undefeated. And for me, that's what I'm open for. Obviously, I want to win, but you know, as long as we remain undefeated after that game, I'm happy. Yeah, I agree. Right on that note, Pete, I'm going to end it. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, as always, mate. And a big thank you as well to everybody watching. Sorry if we didn't quite cover all of your questions. We tried our very best. Um, but it's been a great show. Brilliant guests on. And really looking forward to next Monday. And in the meantime, Pete, I will see you on Thursday. Yes, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Take it easy, guys. See ya.